The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests, and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with over 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 138 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 22nd of August, 2023, from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, I am grateful to sit down with some amazing pilots and Squawk Ident co-hosts to discuss the profession of aviation. We will catch up with the Squawk Ident crew, and we will discuss some recent events that have many of us in the industry scratching our heads. From axe-wielding captains to pilots collapsing due to stress-induced heart attacks. We will discuss all this and more on this, the 137th episode of the Squawk Ident podcast. Before we begin today, I would like to take a moment and thank our latest featured guest, one of Legacy Airlines' newest first officers, Gorky. I can't say enough about Gorky. He was a wonderful training partner and an inspiration. He was prepared and he knew more about the airplane than I could ever imagine. Thanks again, Gorky, for making training so pleasurable. And I hope to get to fly with you again on the line real soon. Joining us today is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former international professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP and avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus captain for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Joining us from his home podcast studio, where he is fresh off a trip that had him flying in hurricanes and earthquakes. Oh my. From somewhere in Flower Mound, Texas, help us in welcoming our very own Captain Rob. Rob? How you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing good. It's good to be back. I've been uh, gone for quite a few weeks, missed a couple podcasts, but I'm um, back in the saddle and ready to get get to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing all about your adventures in hurricanes and earthquakes and, <laughs> and flying from the left seat, which I'm very curious about. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was uh, actually an uneventful trip. Um, so, you know, we... I had a trip that brought me through LA and uh, hurricane Hillary was, uh, was on its way. And, uh, the first day I was there, it was actually pretty nice. We, we had that overnight in Redondo beach. Mm-hmm. So I was able to uh, take in some of the, uh, nice, cool sea breeze temperatures. Cause it's been scorching hot over here in, in Texas. Yes, so it has. being in that environment was just such a nice change. Um, a welcome change. So got to take in some, uh, cooler temperatures and and uh, nice scenery out there uh, off the coast of uh of uh California and and then the next day we ended up waking up to the uh big, you know the early uh you know weather system of a hurricane well was, I think it was a tropical storm at that time yeah um Hillary and uh so it started with just you know a little bit of rain and overcast skies and uh we launched out into the uh, weather and Brought some passengers to Mexico City, oh. turned around, 
came back and landed in the middle of it. And um, come to find out, there was also a 5.1 or something like that yeah. on the Rector scale uh, earthquake in yeah. the same area. So, um, you know, Southern California and, and that whole region, you know, made made quite a made quite a headline news for uh, for the nation there for a little while. And, you know, funny thing is, is, you know, you would Matt, you would think that, you know, we'd be really delayed or, um, you know, for the for the operation, you think that would kind of slow things down. And I'm surprised it didn't. It didn't do anything. Yeah. At least to our schedule. So yeah, I am. I am um, surprised thankful, too. Thankful for that. Yeah, yeah, don't don't believe the drama and the sensationalism yeah. on television. I mean, when they say get out and evacuate, you should get out and evacuate. Don't get me wrong. Yes, but um, yeah, it's been it's not been that bad. I've been home. Uh, thankfully, I got home a couple of days before that tropical uh, storm, aka also turned downgraded to tropical yeah. depression, um, yeah. hit, and you know a lot of family was worried. I was worried about uh, our own Captain Roger. Who's in the yeah. San Diego area, and he was more which, in the bullseye of it. He, yeah, it was a little stronger, uh, and there were a lot yeah. more uh, flooding, flash flooding warnings yeah. out in that area. So I checked on yeah. him, and he's doing fine. He has no major issues. Yeah. He couldn't make it today because he's got some events with his family, with his children. So um, yeah, that definitely we're we're thankful for him, and and glad he's yeah. okay, and and I'm glad he's getting to spend some time with his children. So so yeah, yeah Captain Roger is fine in San Diego. His house is is still there; it didn't float away. Um, and mine yeah, didn't okay. either here in here and somewhere <laughs> in Southern California. I, but there, there were some areas that really did, um, get flooded. You know, I think yes. Palm Springs was a, was hit pretty hard. Yeah. And, Banning, and I do realize uh, some of the, the G, the G, geography or geography. I don't know how you're supposed to say it. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the land can't absorb the water as, right. you know, as rapidly as some areas can. And it ha- it has nowhere to go but just flood the lowest parts of the town and yeah um yeah that people can get you know lose a lot of property and lose their life if they're not careful yeah the the sand slash dirt in the Palm Springs area north uh, east of Banning uh, Banning Pass mm-hmm. where all the windmills right. are um, right it, it's so sun baked and so cooked that. It, it really bakes into the ground. It's very solid. It's like concrete. It's really hard. And you have to break that surface um, for water to be absorbed. It just runs over the top of it. It doesn't really soak down. So what right. happened was over the last 30, 40 years, they've had a lot of developments in those uh, wash areas and river basins and all these new houses. And so, you know, well, it hasn't, hasn't flooded in over 100 years. It's like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. but then you have a tropical storm come through and next thing you know roads are being washed away and houses are under mandatory evacuation so we felt yeah. for them uh, over in the san bernardino county area there was a a little bit of uh, of that flooding going on but for the most part here i i purchased a couple of 55 gallon uh, drums plastic drums um mm-hmm. and uh with the intent to catch some rainwater to to have water to garden, to water the garden. Yeah, and I collected, uh, before, before it actually got heavy the, mm. the, on, on Sunday, Monday, Saturday, it rained all day and I filled both barrels with rainwater wow, before we even got, <laughs> before we even got the, the heavier rain. So I have 110 <laughs> gallons of, uh, of you were probably uh, like rainwater should have bought more barrels no, exactly <laughs> exactly what i thought i thought man i could have filled up five or six barrels and just watered the garden for at yeah. least six months you know but uh sure. yeah if, if, if at least it's legal here in california to do that i've heard some other states yeah. uh, they don't want you 
collecting is that right? water. Yeah, I, I can't what, what imagine could possibly why. be the reason. Yeah, but yeah. hey, you know, uh, neither here nor there. Uh, we survived. Well, I guess that's one of the good good rules or laws that come out of L.A. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, there's got to be at least one or two. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm also excited because also joining us today is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a retired Army colonel and former Black Hawk battalion commander, and he is rated in Apaches, Black Hawk C-12s, UC-35s, Embraer 145s. Boeing 737s. He has a master's degree in management and strategic studies. Currently, he is a Boeing 7576 pilot for Trans Global Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to his employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Joining us from his home studio in Northern Virginia, where he is recovering from his latest four-day transatlantic adventure. Help us in welcoming our very own Terry S. Terry, how you doing? Doing all right. Uh, like I said, uh, or like you said, they're uh, just recovering from the uh, the four day trip and the uh, sleep cycle that uh, that gets all disrupted when you're flying that far. But uh, yeah, no, doing all right. Got to go have breakfast with the uh, with the wife this morning. So nice. You know, that's you know that's what we we're we we're on the pre show. We were talking about what we were going to discuss today and and all the headlines that were interesting and what we were deciding what we wanted to talk about and you know the quality of life of flying the big boys the heavies the wide body is definitely different i mean we've talked about this on the show how being on reserve versus being a line holder it's two different jobs and being a commuter versus being uh, at home based is two different jobs it's just two different things and we haven't really discussed the difference between narrow body flying at a major airline and wide body flying and how it really is two different things and a lot of people say it's two different airlines yeah absolutely now, you've people done both refer to it here as as two different airlines and uh it it, it definitely is it's uh it's just a, a different it's a completely different operation you know when you're when you're doing the the international wide body stuff versus the domestic stuff and even the uh so my my first trip on ioe was a domestic uh seven five pairing and uh I deadheaded out to Denver, then uh, operated Denver to Chicago. Uh, the next day, we did an Orlando turn out of Chicago, and then the last day, I deadheaded home. And uh, even even that side of it is it's different from the strictly narrow body flying, um, in the sense that you know the legs are a little bit longer. Uh, you're not doing as many of them. Uh, and it's, I don't know, it, I don't want to say it's more civilized. It's just, it's, it's just a different atmosphere, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it was, yeah. it was a good time. So I'm, I look forward to hearing about this. Yeah. Because you're, what you're describing is really the ins and outs of two different operations. Right. Even though it's the same carrier under the same certificate. And I really yeah. look forward to hearing more about what you have found to be the differences between the two as, you know, you're building time and as time goes on. So thank you so much for, for giving us a little bit of insight on that. Now you, yeah, you flew absolutely. the seven, three for how long? Uh, about six months. So you're six months there on the narrow body. And now you're just finished IOE. What last week? Uh, Sunday. On Sunday. So two this days week. ago. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so you've not really been on the wide body long enough to kind of compare the two in detail, but what's the main difference you see here that like pros and cons? Um, so because I was on OE, I got to fly both legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ordinarily, um, if you are the flying pilot, uh, or one of the two flying pilots, uh, you'll fly one way and the, uh, other pilot will fly the other way. And that's ah. it. You know, you get one landing every, every trip basically. Yeah. So that's one. Uh, another one is you have the, uh, the relief pilot. So you have a third pilot on board for most of those pairings because they're most of them are uh over eight hours now we had um we were required to have a relief pilot for the leg that i flew so we went to dublin out of uh dulles and uh where i got my cool guinness hat here um but uh so so we went to dublin and uh it was uh, blocked at seven hours uh, but because I was not officially qualified yet, um, we had to have a third pilot. So um, got to kind of learn the uh, the duties of the uh, quote unquote bunkie um, and see how how the bunkie has uh, responsibilities that in the domestic operation, you know, they fall on the first officer. But when you have two first officers, you can kind of divide and conquer. So uh, that was pretty nice not having to do some of those things um, like. Uh, uh, some of those things, you know, like the uh, pre-departure announcement, flight attendants, please receive for departure. Um, I reached down to grab the PA and the uh, the other FO is already making the announcement. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. you know, just just some some minor differences there. But yeah, there's, uh, and then, you, you know, you got to figure out the break schedule. You've got breaks um, where you can uh, go back and, sit in your rest seat and uh, catch a few winks, which is nice. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's cool. It's just a, it's a different operation than, you know, flying four legs in one day through the weather, every single leg, you know, it, it just, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm so happy for you and it just sounds like it's going to be a good fit for you. Uh, with your base and where you're located, not having to commute and and taking advantage of this wide body flying. Now you're going to have to give us the the 411 on this uh, as time goes on because I know here at Legacy Airlines, the wide body FOs, you know, depending on if you're FOB or FOA, whatever they call it, you know, based on seniority for that trip, uh, whether you land or not, and a lot of times FOA gets to choose, and I've heard this through through the gate grapevine um, that they go, no, no, you, you, you can have the landing. You can have the landing. And what happens is they, they go out of currency. So then <laughs> right. they remove them from a trip yeah. with pay. And then they have to go down to Dallas, get scheduled to go in a simulator to do three full stop landings. And then they're current again for 90 days. Then they go back on the line and then they'll pick up like a trip on their day off. Usually premium yeah. trip. And next thing you know, they're flying less than a narrow body pilot but they're making twice, twice the <laughs> amount of yeah. money with all of the uh, pay guarantees yeah. and protections. So, yeah, this it'll be interesting to hear if you have similar strategies and techniques over there at uh, Transglobal. 
Yeah, the uh, so the other first officer who was uh, was operating as our buggy, um, he uh, he was telling me that he is a uh, he's a hustler. So he uh, he works for pay, um, and uh, he is able to maximize his pay through different strategies, mm-hmm. uh, picking up premium trips and dropping trips and trading trips and whatnot, but. Um, in fact, we were talking about, so I'm, I'm getting ready, uh, to get in touch with the, we have a consolidation desk. So mm. when you switch a new air, airplane, uh, I believe it's the same for everybody. We've got to get a hundred hours in the first 120 days. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, some airlines will actually build you a consolidation line, uh, to get you to that hundred hours. We don't do that. Um, but we do have the ability to talk to our consolidation desk and they will, uh, you can send them a list of trips, uh, not out of open time, but from other people, you know, who, who are trips that are already owned by others. Oh, wow. Send them a list of trips that, you know, would fit into your reserve blocks. And, uh, if, you know, if the stars align and everything works out, they can, uh, grab that trip. They drop it from the pilot who's got it. With pay. Yep. Yep. They're happy and to then stay they home give with pay. It. Yeah. 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 So I was talking to the, uh, the, the other first officer on this last trip and, you know, we got along pretty well. He was another army guy and, uh, we're, we're talking about things. And, uh, I was like, you know, I mean, I got to consolidate. So if you're looking to, uh, you know, maybe drop a trip and pick up another trip, I can certainly, uh, try to help out. He's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, if there's a crack in the dam and there's a drop of water, next thing you know, all the water is going through there. That's that's a pilot for you right there. Yeah, that's yeah. going to yeah. find the you know the way to to get around the the dam, so to speak. The dam, dam. The dam, dam. <laughs> so yep. great. Yep. Well, I'm I'm happy that you're you're out there on the line and everything was a success with your training. Any pitfalls from the long term training uh, going from the seven three to seven five? It's pretty pretty standard stuff, right? Yeah, it was standard stuff. I think, uh, so, um, I did have a couple issues with training. Um, the, the check ride I, I passed, um, but we have this thing called a short cycle. Uh, so I passed, but did not do as well as I probably should have. Uh, and there were, you know, issues related to that, that, uh, it, basically they had uh two first off me paired up with another first officer who oh, had yeah. been out for six years oh wow and so the seat support for the check ride wasn't the best so you. uh you know missed some things here and there um but anyway we we got through it uh we passed and uh you know moved on to, to oe from there but it just means i got to go back a little bit earlier uh as opposed to a right six month recurrent i've got to go back for uh i think it's at three to four months three to four yeah yeah so which you know whatever it is what it is but uh that was uh that was kind of the the biggest uh pitfall with training like training had gone great up until the check ride which is just so disappointing (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you know hey you 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 get through it you take your licks and you know you move on so but yeah it's uh it's all going well now that, uh, I don't know. You, you've seen the, the memes out there where the, uh, the guy is kind of, he's 
got the sad face and he's kind of staring out the window or he's staring, he's standing by the pool, the empty pool with no water and he's staring. Uh, and you know, that, that meme kind of applies to, uh, my last landing is my last landing still thinking about me the way I'm thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was rough. I like that. Uh, Kermit the frog sipping tea, looking out the window at the rain and yeah, the meme's like, I wonder if their last landing is thinking about yeah, the way I'm thinking about it, you know. So if um, you were on my flight on Sunday, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> see, and see, I have IOE uh, tomorrow. That's my first IOE leg from the left seat, and uh, I'm going to be doing a LA to Dallas and back tomorrow. And uh, I'm a little nervous because it's one thing to land a simulator a hundred times during long-term training under every condition known, you know possible uh, single engine yeah. on fire no engine no hydraulics no adrs no you know whatever um direct law normal law uh you know alternate law all these different modes that the airbus has and you land them in the sim and the, you know they're, all, they're okay they're good they're good and then you get in the real deal and you're just doing a normal landing with calm winds and you just don't want to you just don't want to bust in alaska oh is that too yeah. soon <laughs> too soon <laughs> <laughs> now those guys we're going to talk about that if we have a chance um I, I i reserve all my opinions um until the ntsb report but yeah if anyone that's in the aviation industry uh yesterday i think it was um an alaska 737 had what looked like from the video uh posted in the news reports uh just a regular landing kind of not 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 too hard not anything crazy but uh the the what's it the left main landing gear um, the strut was pushed up through the wing. Uh, the aircraft landed, yeah. came to a rest, and then everyone had to be uh, deplaned by stairs. And that airplane, it looks like it's going to be a, a total loss. But to me, as uh, someone who's been in the industry for a couple decades, um, I'm no expert at accident investigations. And all I know is from what I've seen on the preliminary news reports. But uh, it looks to me like that airplane had some kind of structural issues because that landing did not seem that bad or that hard to cause that yeah. much damage i mean they're certified yeah to to deal with a lot of g's on those landings um yeah so yeah from the video that the passenger took from right behind the wing on the left side uh where the incident occurred it didn't look yeah. that bad so so i just when i say alaska don't don't get me wrong <laughs> we're just making jokes <laughs> <laughs> but rob you um so you've got a, a hundred yeah. hours now you're you're yeah consolidation you didn't need it because you were in the yeah. right seat and therefore correct you already had it uh, right but you have your hundred hours uh in the left seat yeah the hundred hours was to lift the uh you know the new captain men's i forget what we technically call it but the yeah, uh, restricted captains uh-huh restricted captain yeah so yeah. you know within within your first hundred hours you know we we would have to add a half a a half a mile and a hundred feet to all the approaches and no cat three, unless they were in BMC conditions. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I had that lifted and actually we almost, I almost had to go around, do a missed approach into, um, San Diego a couple trips ago because the ceiling was right at the minimums of, you know, the added extra hundred feet mm-hmm. to the, uh, to the MDA. Right. Because it's a localizer approach into there or the uh, RNAV. But either way, you still have to add, you know, 100 feet. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we were coming in, I'm like, man, this is not going to be cool because it's normally a, 
you know, normally with that the kind of overcast they get there, you know, you you break out right at the bottom, yeah, and you, and you know the visibility is ten miles, and it's a higher so, minimum descent altitude right. than normal because of the correct descent rate, higher descent rate. Three they call it the, the or like that. southwest yeah. arrival or the space shuttle arrival. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but thankfully, uh, the ceiling was just high enough as we approach the uh, minimum descent altitude mm-hmm. we were able to um you know obtain visual reference to the airport and continue the descent for a successful landing which yeah. was great because <laughs> if not we were going to end up in LA <laughs> yeah yeah and so the funny thing is and I was just in uh, we'll talk about my long term training wrap up here um in a moment mm-hmm. but I was just there and they were talking about there's exceptions that you can uh, use as a restricted uh, captain you could do a cat two landing but that's of course an ils so now right. you're going into a localizer rnf place you got to add the 100 feet and a half miles now do you add the 100 feet to the mda or you add 100 feet to our derived decision altitude which is 50 feet above did, mda no I, I did it to the dda but i'm not sure if that's if that's actually what we're supposed to do, but because a DDA is always you add fifty to whatever. So, so. yeah, our our legacy airlines we add fifty feet to our yeah. MDA, MDA to get our DDA, yeah. and then the question yeah. is, so do you add a hundred feet to DDA or do you add a hundred feet to MDA? So yeah, I would think, I think you would, I think you add a hundred feet to your MDA, and then you still have to add the fifty for the DDA because that's DDA. the company. Policy. So one hundred and fifty yeah. feet from MDA. Exactly. And you see uh, yeah. all this the legal <laughs> lot, that's what the blue pages are for, darn yeah, it. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so you had some you had some weather. We talked about your flying yeah. into this uh, really non-event uh her, yeah. Hillary uh hurricane yep. thing. Um and so the flying you're happy with it and you're holding a line next month, is this right? <laughs> yeah, crazy, right? Um yeah, I've been on reserve up until well, it will be up until the end of this month, which is August. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just bid kind of like what I normally bid for as when I was a senior FO. And um, it's still, I mean, I got the award as if I had just blanket bid or, you know, block bid the whole bid packet. Um, basically telling uh, the computer that I'll take anything as long as I don't have reserve. Um, so I got all four day trips next uh next month so um i'm happy because when you hold the line as you and i know there's a little bit of flexibility <laughs> that comes with it because you can trip trade and yeah um yeah we have obviously had some limitations in in the past couple months or years where it's harder to do stuff uh trade um like we used to but still I, at least i can do that now because on reserve you can't do that at all right so uh, and then on reserve, I've been just flying. I mean, every day that I'm on reserve, I've been flying. I think I had a can count on my hand maybe five times in the last two or three months where I just didn't fly at all. Oh, wow. And actually, one of the days I was called in to fly, and um, I'm, it, it, this actually might have made it onto the last podcast, but I was call, called in to fly, and I was already within like 30 minutes of my... Uh, um, my legal fl- um, duty day mm. because of the time of my wrap. And I even mentioned it to the schedule. I said, you know, you're having me come in to fly a trip and I only have about 30 minutes left in my, uh, my wrap. 
And if there's any delay, which this trip was already delayed, but that's why they're calling me in. <laughs> if there's any more delay, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I won't be able to finish it. And they're like, well, I understand, but you know, you, right now you, <laughs> you're the it. next one up and you, and you fit the, uh, the criteria for the trip. Yeah. I'm like, sounds great. So, you know, I showed up for the trip, signed in and no sooner than, than I signed in the trip, they pulled me off the trip because they realized there were even more delays. So yeah. turn, turn around, went home, got the, uh, show, no go pay for, um, you know, at least showing up to the airport. <laughs> so that was kind of nice, but that was one of the days I, you know, I chalked up to uh, not being used. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all in all, it's been good. The flying has been good. You, you know, you said, you mentioned you're nervous and you know, that's normal and that's natural, but, uh, as you know, it's it's like riding a horse, uh, riding a bike, man, or riding a horse. <laughs> it's kind of bucks around a little bit, but um, you're you're gonna you're gonna settle right into it, just like you did um, at your previous job, and yeah. um, it's gonna become pretty nice. And you're a natural leader. Um, I've flown with nothing but great people in the right seat. I've had a, had a small little challenge this last trip. Um, it was not a big deal. I kind of just had to have a little coaching and counseling uh when we got on the ground in mexico and it and it, it's it's actually kind of a good story but um I, and we could talk about her if you want to but um other than that it's been great you yeah. know it's just 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 a good good overall experience so far yeah well before we, if you don't mind uh yeah before we get into my experience because uh-huh. I, I talked about yeah. the my long term on the last podcast yeah. with gorky and uh-huh. um we have we were getting ready for the next day we were going to do loe um, and, and that went off, yeah. you know, without a hitch. Um, we'll mm-hmm. talk about that here in a minute. But yeah. uh, what really impressed me was the class I just finished this week, which was uh, PLM, uh, yeah. which is Professionalism, Leadership, and Mentoring, which I didn't know was a requirement from the FAA. We'll talk about that as well. But speaking of, you know, mentoring, yeah. uh, what kind of mentoring situation yeah. do you have? Yeah, so I actually had to take a, a page out of the PLM course that um, that you and I had experienced and um terry you know you've probably been doing this your whole life with the military but um and you know we've had to do it at at uh at sandpiper and and here and there um so it really wasn't something new but uh it was my first real um mentoring session uh here here at here at uh legacy airline so what was happening was i was flying with a um, a first officer who had some really good experience um and we got along exceptionally well just you know, it was just, it was just like a normal flight, you know, normal, normal, um, uh, crew coordination. And, and they were, they were very, uh, procedurally correct. And the cadences, it was just a great trip, you know? Um, but the only thing that was kind of, um, that kind of got on my, I wouldn't say nerves, but just kind of irritated me a little bit was, and I, and I picked it up the first, maybe the second day of the trip was every time the person would make a mistake either on the FMC or the FMS or radio call, they would kind of verbally, you know, off the mic or off the, off the, uh, the radio kind of verbally beat themselves off. It's like, well, I didn't hear it. That's not what I heard him say. Or, or I, I, I don't know why I can't get this thing to do it. You know, just kind of talk it out loud. Yeah. And you know, some people do that. So fast forward, we're going into Mexico city and, you know, here's a threat forward briefing you know, hey, what are your threats? First thing that comes out of the mouth was language barrier. You know, there's there's uh, the Mexican controllers can sometimes 
be a little hard to understand and some of the fixes are unfamiliar. So, and they're the way they pronunciate or enunciate their, their fixes or their clearances sometimes just don't, you know, go right into the processor the way we want them in our brain. And and then, you know, sometimes, you know, you have a little hard time um, complying with it. Mm-hmm. So now you combine that with that person's reaction, which is to just beat themselves up after every single mistake or radio call that they don't understand was starting to interfere with the actual communication with ATC and operating the airplane. And one of the cases was we were on an arrival into Mexico city and the arrival, um, just for demonstration purposes had like five points. Okay. And three or four of the five points were turned. So you hit one point and then you made like a 90 degree turn, let's say to the east. Um, The second point, another 90 degree turn to the south. And the third point was like a 90 degree turn to the southwest and then four and five. So they're all turns. But there was also also on the chart. It said that, hey, be prepared to go directly to point from point number one to point number five because you can get that clearance. Okay. So the controller, we briefed that and we we talked about it. I was a pilot flying. Uh, the other person was a pilot monitoring. And I, I briefed that on the arrival um, as, as one of the threats too. Mm-hmm. And we got that clearance. So I went heads down as a pilot flying to go direct to that point but what they heard was fly the arrival up to this point then you're clear to descend via that point okay and i was like no they said go direct to that point and descend via they're like no and then meanwhile atc is uh, uh, that person responded on the radio on what she thought she heard and i was like no that's not what they said and then ATC starting to correct the person on the radio. That's not what I said. This is why I need you to go direct to this point. But meanwhile, we're in the here having a conversation of, no, this is not what they said. This is what they said. And you're, they're beating each other up. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to start the turn, clarify the, the clearance. And as I started the turn for the third transmission, ATC is like, no, I need you to go direct to this point now. And I was okay. So the plane does a little wing wag, come back, and we go direct to that point. And then the person, of course, now they go, well, that's not what they said. Of course. <laughs> it's not of my course. fault. Right. They so didn't say it, it right. It was, it was, <laughs> and then every radio call yeah. on the way down was after the transmission, they'd give the reply, and then they would call, God, Jesus, I did. I can't understand what they're saying. I just don't, I just don't understand. I hate flying in here. You know, and the, then they're reading something else back. I'm like, shh, shh, they're saying something else. Quiet. <laughs> you know, I need to listen to, I need to pay attention. So as we got on the ground, you know, I kind of like, all right, how do we, how do we approach this? I mean, it's not a really complicated thing. No. Right. But yeah. it's still something I felt like it, it became, it became a little, you know, I wouldn't say dangerous, but it made it hard to operate, you know? So I was like, all right, you know, what'd you, what'd you think? You know, what do you think about that arrival? How, how do we do as a crew? You know, like, well, those controllers are, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, they are. I agree. And I said, but, you know, um, you know, I mentioned to you during the brief that, you know, I, I can, I don't speak Spanish, but I understand them pretty well. Um, and, 
you know, we probably should have swapped roles. Maybe they be the pilot flying and I be the pilot monitoring. And then that way the communication process would be good, but we still have to be on the same page as far as the clearances and stuff like that. But um, I said, the, the best thing we could do is, is after transmission is if you have to say something, go cold mic and just say it off, off the intercom and off the radio, because you're interfering with the communication process when you're start, when you're complaining and I'm, and I'm doing everything I can to, you know, listen and comply, but you know, you're over there just beating yourself up yeah. about how bad they communicate. And when in reality they speak Spanish a hell of a, or they speak English a hell of a lot better than you speak Spanish right now. So <laughs> you know, yeah. let's just listen, let's just listen and comply. Cause it really wasn't complicated. It was just, you had to listen. Right. And I think and there's, so, uh, you, you mentioned a couple of things. There's a expectation bias when, uh, you know, you're going into a place, you expect it to be a certain way as filed a lot of times, and then you get something yeah. different. You, even though you briefed it, it sounds yeah. like they, they just changed something on it. They didn't in, they didn't ingest what you were briefing, which is common right. on a, on a, you know, forward briefing. Um, yeah. and, and then there was this preconceived notion that there's going to be a language barrier because every time you're in training, they say, Hey, when you go down South of the border, there's going to be mm-hmm. a language barrier. And then we're not just talking about Mexico. We're talking about all airspace, South every of the border, country. every Central America, South America, everything. So everything yeah. here in the continent of North America, mm-hmm. you know, we always have this preconceived notion that if you go South of the border, those controllers will kill you. That's what they keep telling you. I mean, not yeah. in so you know literal of words, but um, they keep telling you, you know, be careful, be clarify, mm-hmm. clarify. So what happens is, especially the pilots that don't have much experience down there, yeah, they have this preconceived notion that it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. Always, and then yeah. they get down there, and it's really not a problem. Most right. of the time, the controllers, yes, there are issues with language barriers, and that happens everywhere. Go to Europe. How many languages do they speak yeah. in a very small, concentrated area geographically? So, right. yes, but English is the primary language, so speak slowly, listen mm-hmm. slowly, if that yeah. makes sense, write it down, Yeah. clarify turn, if needed. Turn up the volume a little. Right, and, <laughs> and... Keep the dialogue to a minimum. A minimum. It doesn't That's mean you I have needed. to be completely yeah. sterile unless right. you're in a sterile cockpit environment or sterile yeah. flight deck environment, whatever yeah. you want to do PC. Yeah. But. And I wanted them to speak up if they didn't understand the clearance too. I mean, we, we need to know that and we need to be, you know, in the green or both in the greens on, on what they said. But, you know, it got to the point where just like you said, you know, they were, they were their own enemy, you know, their, right. their expectation bias, well, they're all oh, their, their, the communication sucks down here. The language barrier sucks and they're going to kill us was impeding with, you know, w- with let's just listen to what they have to say and, you know, do what they have to say and then decide if it wasn't going to be safe or, or correct, you know? Right. So anyway, that yeah. was it, but I felt comfortable enough to, you know, to kind of, you know, bring it up and, and you have to anyway, you know, you're the captain. So, uh, but I felt comfortable enough to bring it up and, and we both kind of had a little laugh at the end and, and, um, and we both agreed like, you know, they, they were, they were wanting to go to the wide body, mm-hmm. 
Terry, (laughs) and fly those international routes. And I kind of said, well, you need to do a couple more Mexico trips just to get that language thing under your belt because now you're going to fly to South America and you're going to fly to London and Europe, and this is going to be your life. So better off, you know, making all the mistakes here and now then you know <laughs> yeah put put well, those yeah. tools in your what, toolbox uh, what now. happens what happens totally. when the phraseology is different not just the the you know differences in pronunciation and whatnot but the actual sure. phraseology like you know one of the yeah. things they do in western europe that you know i had to do the other day was when you are ready for pushback you don't call you know ready for push and start or anything like that you call them up and you say you know call sign so and so uh parked it stand whatever fully ready and if you don't mm-hmm. say the words fully ready they're they they're not going to give you what you want right so there, there's phraseology differences as well depending on yeah. where you go mm-hmm. um so it's not just language at that point yeah is that something that is uh in your operations manual or, yeah it's um, on our uh, i think we've got it on our company pages yeah yeah so they kind of give you the the phrase to say or whatever yeah right. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of something when we we got our clearance too and I think Tony you'll probably understand this. This kind of this kind of task saturated us and task loaded us down there in Mexico. Um Mexico City and I, I'm sure you've been there, right Tony? Yes. You've been there maybe a handful of times. Uh-huh. But uh, for the uh some reason our FMGC's locked up and we lost our oh. data link when we got to the gate. Okay. And so you know, there's obviously a QRH reset procedure and, you know, you're supposed to document it, call maintenance, and it's supposed to be a uh, info to maintenance write-up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that, but I knew I had to do that to free it up because the FMGC wouldn't function at all. Like, you can scroll through the pages, but you couldn't input any information. Oh, wow. So. Normally, there's an init button with the star, right, for right. up uplink stuff. So you hit the uplink, and then, you know, within a few minutes, uh, all the flight plans and performance uplinks. Well, that went into, you know, just like the... Uh, vapor lock. Nothing. Vapor yeah. lock. Thank you. <laughs> and then, so then you're like, okay, let's not wait on this after five minutes. Let's just start hand jamming or manually entering all the information ourselves. So... You know, MMMX to KLAX wouldn't re- wouldn't retake any of that information. Like you couldn't oh, even, wow. like you can bring the page up, but you couldn't input any information in. So I'm right. like, well, the FMGC is locked up. It it's malfunctioning or whatever. So let's do a soft reset. So did the soft reset, and then realized that the the data link was also jammed up with that too because we mm-hmm. weren't getting any information, no ATIS. Oh. No, P. You know how you can do the departure clearance. Yeah, um, from this was the, at the ATS gate? page. It's at the gate. And was this so, after a ground power unit uh, power up? Um, I didn't even. I didn't even uh, establish ground power. I just kept the APU. So it was right. just APU run. Okay, because I know that. Remember, yeah. we used to have that issue over at Sandpiper with the GPU right. sometimes causing a little haywire in the Embraer. Um, yeah, I was just thinking maybe, but yeah, if you're if you never yeah. even establish ground power, then right. Yeah, yeah, so make that's sense. exactly what happened. So yeah. I had to go in and, you know, do the QRH reset procedure. But um, the QRH reset procedure for that, too, was also saying, you know, if uh, you couldn't even do it if you had the FMGC locked up because you needed the FMGC to do the Unilink thing. Right. So anyway, 
Yeah. So, and just for those that, listeners out there that are going, oh, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> Flight management guidance computer, right? And then the QRH right. is a quick reference handbook. That is That's the right. uh, book, the only book that we are now over at Legacy required to carry with us in our kit bag. That is yeah. going away. We will be uh, transitioning to an electronic version only, which is great. Yes. Uh, one less, one less, you know, Manual five pound weight to, <laughs> to carry yeah. around in our in our bag of tricks there in our kit bags um yeah. so yeah and there are procedures that you can reset computers on the ground sometimes you can do mm-hmm. them in air most of the time you can't only on the ground and then right. once you complete this procedure then you would do an info to maintenance which what's that well we have an aircraft maintenance log as of right now it's a book that's on the aircraft required uh, to be on board uh prior to every flight that also is going away. We're going to have an EAML right. an electronic mm-hmm. AML. Um, but for now we still have the paper. And so you put an info to maintenance item in there so that maintenance knows that you did a reset. And if the reset yep. is successful next time the aircraft is back at a maintenance base, maintenance will come and check the book and go, Oh, they did a reset and they'll document it because right. if everybody does a reset on an airplane for three days, and you have five or six crews a day doing a reset and maintenance doesn't know about it, they're never going to fix it. So, right. so we do info to maintenance items. Um, that's it. So that's it. Yeah. Now, here we are uh, about halfway through and someone has decided to join us. Let's see who it is. He is a former U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Information Systems Technician, a certified flight instructor, and an Embraer 175 pilot for Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of Legacy Airlines' wholly-owned regional airlines. Making a buttload of money and joining us from the heat wave in Dallas, Texas, from his new home, somewhere in Justin, Texas, that is, please help us in welcoming to our show our very own Mr. Alex D. Alex, how you doing? Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is it you said 101 yeah 101 it's it, uh it's a scorcher today it, you know and the funny thing is uh you know i got to i got to visit alex's new abode here last week uh fantastic community with the lazy river and it's just really nice he's got a nice view from his back driveway uh, overlooking a field it's it's really it's really calm and I really it did is. appreciate, uh, you know, you having me over. Thank you so much. Uh, thank your wife uh, again for dinner. It was fantastic. But sure. I got to tell you, 101 degrees in Dallas. You might as well just get inside a sauna. Oh, well, and, you know, they always say like, oh, if you go out to Phoenix, it's a different heat. It's a it's dry a, heat. It's a dry heat. No, they're, they're, they're not lying. It is a different heat here. This is the way I can easily describe it is... Uh, Phoenix and the West Coast and the deserty area is, is like uh, you're standing under a broiler in the oven, whereas Dallas is full encompassing the regular oven. Because at least in the broiler, you can get in the shade and it drops down by like 30 degrees. Out here, it drops down like five degrees, maybe yeah. 10 if you're lucky if a breeze is blowing in the shade. Yeah. So sweaty balls, Humidity. my friend. Sweaty balls. Uh, Rob said it so, best. Uh, what, what did you see? A squirrel? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw a squirrel outside putting talcum powder on his nuts. Hey, <laughs> so Alex, what, Rob's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, what have you been up to, man? Uh, flying the line? Uh, what's going on? 
Well, so, I mean, let's see where I don't remember the last time I was on the show, to be honest. Um, I went through my first recurrent um, with the airlines. Uh, that was, that was interesting and fun. It's different. Um, I did prepare a little bit for it. I mean, more than just going in cold and blind, I did, you know, crack open the books and study and go through my flows. Cause there's the schoolhouse way of doing it and the line flying way of doing it. And you get used to the line flying way all the time. And, sure. uh, you know, you, you have to just be a little bit more precise on your call outs and flows and triggers and whatnot. But, um, check that uh off the list it's done um we're moved in got the the kiddos out here they officially started school last week uh so that's good yeah did they find uh, the bus stop what, what school yes. district are you guys in uh we're in northwest okay yeah nice so my oldest is going to northwest which is like literally 10 minutes down the road tops yeah from us that's great um nice and you guys great. you guys are in flower mound school district Correct. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure at some point we'll probably play you guys in something or other. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think we were just there the other day. They had a tournament out in, um, oh, I forget the name of the, t- the, the other high school that's out that way. Um, but yeah, we will. Well, I yeah. think we plan to play Northwest pretty soon. Perfect. Perfect. I, I'm, I'm, I want to go to all the sports. I love it. Yeah. Um, I just, with the, the schedule that I got this month, I don't, I can't go to Friday night lights, football games. Um, just the nature of the beast. Yeah. Well, you want to wait till it cools off anyway. So. Oh yeah. Oh no. Uh, they had a, <laughs> they had a scrimmage last week and, uh, my, I was texting my wife about it. Cause one of the kids in the neighborhood here is on the, uh, they don't do freshman team. They do, um, varsity JVA and JVB and JVB mm-hmm. is the, the freshman team. Mm-hmm. So he, he had made the, 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 JV team. Um, and they went to go watch him scrimmage and it, it, it was not fun yeah. for anybody. It was like 109 and there's no like reprieve to the heat. Uh, so, yeah. 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 So I, I, I do agree. I will want to wait till it cools down just a little to go to the games, but that'll be mm-hmm. next month and hopefully it'll start cooling by then. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I have news in the work that I'm not sharing just yet because it hasn't officially started. Tony knows what it is. We talked about it. Uh, when you came over, um, what's this teaser? Uh, all right, if, tease. You, if, you, if you edit this out of the show right here, um, I'm ta- uh, you know, I've been in talks with. Oh, okay, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna go. Um, yeah, I don't I don't want to go I don't want to go into detail about it on the show. I want to wait till it actually officially starts, and then I can you know say it. So, Tony, that was your edit point. Um, Thanks start- a lot for making my job harder. <laughs> oh shut up it's not like i'm doing anything anyways you're you're captain now you, you, God, you've got I, enough I, to take care of I, all that i hope i uh i hope i edit that out oh, <laughs> yeah well so but yeah that's that's the teaser for you guys uh in the show obviously for the fans out there there will be news in the works for stuff coming up i just need it to be solidified got uh it. Before I before I make that announcement, right. announcement. Right. So where do we pick cool. up now? Um. Um, that's pretty much it. Just been flying. Um, I do have news about uh, one of our listeners, Keith. Well, actually, two news which, about our listeners, Keith. Keith. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so not Keith, Keith Wolzinger, um, but uh, Keith uh, from North Dakota. The last I talked to him, he had passed his um, MV. 
and his no no not his mv his procedures validation and his knowledge validation mm-hmm. um and was doing observation rights before he goes into the sims i think it's next week i gotta text him and figure out more but he's um on the last hurdle before uh becoming a fully fledged first officer with sandpiper nice Nice. Well, we wish him luck in his training. I'm sure he'll do fine. And and Keith, if you're listening, send us some feedback, some audio feedback. Let us know how it's going and what the best thing you got out of all this training was, you know, um, and what some of the challenges were. We'd love to hear it. Um, Alex has already, you know, been through it all. And, you know, it'd be interesting to hear a year later if some yeah. of the same challenges are are there or, you know. Or how it's all going. So, so thank you. And Alex, thank you. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Um, you've been very busy with all of the moving and getting settled in, getting the kids in school. I asked you where the, if they found the bus stop, cause that was the next day was going to be their first day and they're freaking out a little bit going, where's the, where's the bus? I don't know where to get the bus. And <laughs> I'm just going to walk. So, like, so yeah. the youngest one has been completely fine. His bus stop is literally um, at the corner. Um, easy pickup, easy drop off. Yeah, he he walked himself out today to go to the bus stop, get on and walked himself home yesterday. So he's got no problems. Um, The big one, he he was the one that was having a little bit of the issue with the buses and all that stuff. But he's been in uh, baseball tryouts this last week uh, for the fall season. And I'll be happy to say that he made the JVB squad for the Northwest High School baseball. Cool. Nice. Nice. we're we're looking good there and that was a huge win that he needed to kind of help boost his confidence being out here excellent i'm i'm very uh happy for him and uh i feel sad for your weekends because they just went away bye-bye yeah. <laughs> well, uh, don't believe me ask Rob. I'll, I'll, I'll be picking up i'll be picking up ot <laughs> oh, oh, okay. no no i'll be i want to be home i want to be around and see these things and go root on yeah you know high school sports and that's good go that's watch. important absolutely that's well today so, we're, we're talking a little bit about how we've been dealing with professionalism and mentoring and we're going to talk about my experience uh, finishing up the long-term training and the plm course and we'll speak a little bit about what's been happening in the news uh, with axe-wielding pilots right after the break And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from the break. Well, we've been talking uh, with these fantastic co-hosts here, catching up on from transitioning from narrow body to wide body, talking about flying into the weather, your first hundred hours in the left seat, restricted captains, um, additional minimums, uh, higher minimums for restricted captains and how to get over those hurdles. Now we want to focus on what it means to be in the left seat. It's more than just signing a document before every flight, having an extra stripe, being the final authority to the flight. There's so much more involved. And something I learned this week was flying is the easy part. What do I mean by that? Well, in the last podcast, we talked about how this you know, long-term training has been going. And we were right before the, my, my LOE or check ride. Uh, that I'm very happy to report went by with minimal stress. 
It was a very straightforward thing. Um, we got thrown kind of a little bit of a curveball. We were given an electrical. Was it an electrical issue? No, we were giving. We were given an issue <laughs> on LOE that was one of the prescribed uh, errors or faults that you might get in root. And you know what they're looking for is: do you go through the SOPs and do you use good judgment? And you land the aircraft if you have to at a alternate airport. And that's what we did. But our Czech airman said, listen, uh, I'm going to be giving you probably like one fault throughout the flight because you read the gouge, you know, it's coming, right? He goes, I cannot, I'm not your instructor in there. I am ATC. I'm your flight attendant. I'm SOP uh, or uh, I'm a SOC and I'm your dispatcher. I'm whatever you need me to be, but I am not your check airman flight instructor in there. You guys have to figure it out. It's like you're out on the line. That's the whole point of this line operating experience or line operating evaluation. Um, so we're evaluating your decision-making and we're making sure that you follow the protocols. And so sometimes he said in the simulator, you might get a follow-up item and then another item and then another item that goes wrong. He goes, trust me, I am not messing with you. If that happens, just keep flying. It's just sometimes in the sim, these things pop up and we don't, you know, can't control it, but Hey, out on the line. It could happen too. So sure enough, uh, we're flying along and, you know, we're laser focused. Everything's going okay. All the call outs and procedures are being done and we get a hydraulic pump over temp. Okay. Not a big deal. Follow the procedure, read through the QRH and go through the follow-up items and everything was done relatively well. And then all of a sudden we get ding, another ECAM message, ding. Then another ECAM message. And we're like, we hadn't even finished the first one. And we got three other ECAM messages. And we're like looking at each other going, what the, you know, this is not right. This is, holy crap. And finally, I'm like, you know what? We're finishing the first ECAM message. We're going to follow it up. And of course, in there, it says land ASAP. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, that's it. Uh, I said, Gorky, your aircraft, your radios. Uh, I'm going to follow up here with dispatch. Uh, and go ahead and declare an emergency and tell them where we'd like the closest airport, which pop up up here it is. And I'm going to verify with dispatch that that's a good call for the airport. Sure enough, we got that airplane down. We did a, not an emergency descent, but we did a pretty good descent and we landed the airplane, I think in San Antonio or something like that. Um, and the whole thing went off, you know, pretty much without a hitch. And as soon as we cleared the runway, the sim instructor said, gentlemen, congratulations. You've passed your check ride. Um, remember, we were talking about it in the uh, pre-briefing that sometimes the simulator, there's things programmed in here and, and lines of code that are messed up and they're giving you emergencies or ECAMs that are not part of the lesson. He goes, that's exactly what happened. You guys handled it just wonderfully. You didn't let it get overwhelming. You maintained your focus. He goes, that couldn't have gone better if know it was an actual part of the lesson he goes good job guys and i was very grateful <laughs> to have gorky as my training partner he was very prepared he had gone through three type rides on the airbus in the last three and a half years so yeah uh wow. everything went off without a hitch That's so awesome. we graduated we took some photos hey everything was great and we went home for about four or five days and then i had to go back 
to the training center to take this class, which some of the captains that I had flown with over the past few months said, oh, yeah, that's that PLM class is basically how to talk to flight attendants and gate agents. And I was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know why they're making us do this, you know, whatever. And I was pleasantly surprised because on day one, it's a classroom full of upgrading captains. And there were a few wide body captains that had, for one reason or another, been with the company for 20 or 30 years, been a captain for 15 of those years, and just never took the PLM class. So they had to take it. So, but most of us were all upgrading. There's a couple Sandpiper alumni in there with me that I had flown with back in the day, which, so it was kind of nice to see familiar faces. And that PLM class was taught by two instructors. Both of them were energetic, informative, really just great guys. And they weren't, they weren't Czech airmen. They, they weren't even instructors. They were just line pilots that have been certified to teach this class. So we're being taught leadership by pilots fellow pilots that have been teaching this leadership class. And man, I gotta tell you, it was probably one of the most informative lessons or classes that I have gone through in this profession. They do a good job. Mm -hmm. They They really engaged. They really do. And less and just scenario after scenario after scenario and a lot of, a lot of good Intel. And it was nothing like what, that expectation was that I had right. walking into it because of what I was listening to. I knew very little about it and they don't really give you much uh, like Intel, no syllabus beforehand. It's all Nothing. show up on day one and there you go. Yeah. Not to mention there was free coffee and water in the back of the room. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Rob, you, before you go, I know you, you have some, some things you need to take care of in a few minutes, but um, what did you think of the PLM? You went through it a couple months oh. ago. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I think I, uh, I was kind of excited to share with you um, how how much I liked it because I think you and I are kind of on the same personality and and view of you know let's learn everything as much as we can to be the best we can at, at our jobs. And you know I have heard the same things um, you have. You know where guys say that it was not a uh, a good class, not that that was a good class that they didn't really get anything out of it. And you know when I went in there. Um, you know, I just kept an open mind and, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, those, those instructors, those pilots up there that were running the class really did a good job of keeping you engaged in the, on the topics and, um, it kept it funny too. And I think that's what made it, made it good. And, um, everybody was, um, contributing. I mean, there was very few, you know, there's a couple of people that just, you know, were quiet, but most people were, you know, pretty, um, we're willing to, you know, volunteer any information or, 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 or to get into the activity, um, as, as they wish to. And then, um, you did have a good opportunity to also meet some of the, uh, the members of management and the FAA and, um, some of the people behind the scenes that, that you don't really see that often. And, you know, they're, they're kind of just existing an email or some name with a, you know, director, um, you know, job title to their name and you get to learn what they really do and understand that, you know, there's, there's a huge, huge, um, group of people that are really, really dedicated to making our job, not only 
as safe as it can be, but also as successful as it can be. So um, that class really exposed that to me. And I thought it was good for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can't agree with you more. Um, you know, you are out there on the line for many, many years and you can't help after time feel like, well, we're on our own out here. Oh, and it couldn't be, that statement couldn't be further from the truth. Totally. The biggest thing, tell me if you got the same thing, was big C word, communicate, communication. Yeah. That was always the first thing. There's, there's so many people here that can help you, but you have to communicate. Yeah. Whether it be just the smallest thing, like, I mean, I actually did it the other day uh, when I told you about my... uh my sign in time being as, you know, being close to my, my duty limit, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't tell them these things, I mean, they, they got computers and everything, they can see it, but sometimes it just takes that you have to say something for them to communicate it. Right. So, um, you know, even with the dispatchers, we were, we had a trip a couple of weeks ago where we were having a rolling delay after delay after delay, because we were waiting on um, a maintenance team that had to drive from Chicago to Des Moines to deliver some oxygen canisters. Cause obviously oxygen canisters can't fly in airplanes unless they're in their dedicated, um, uh, storage, storage spot. Um, so they had to drive these things up to uh, Chicago and, um, uh, we were waiting on that and I had to communicate with the dispatcher. I said, look, just be aware. You may want to run this by, uh, you know, the, the, uh, um, the duty pilot as well as get, get the, uh, um, crew scheduling or crew tracking involved that at this time we have an hour and a half duty day left in our in our day if these guys get here and they for some reason drag it out um you know for whatever reason then we're going to run out of time yeah and they were like oh well geez i didn't know about that you know so yeah. right then that communications thing uh and you know a lot of people think well they should know da 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 da, da. i'm like yeah. They do, but you know, sometimes one one part of the department doesn't talk to the other department because there's really no need to at that time. Because why would maintenance talk to scheduling right until there's a problem? You know, so they, they wouldn't talk until scheduling goes, Hey, we need to replace these guys. Well, how long is this thing gonna be take? You know? Yeah. So yeah, my anyway. favorite diagram that they drew on the board was a big circle. And yep. from that circle had all these spikes coming out, right? And yeah. in the circle, it said PIC yep. or captain, right? And for all those spikes were all the other departments that are involved with the dispatch and the safe operation of a flight. Yep. And we were filling all of these spikes. We, we ran out of room for spikes. Yeah. And they say, who's in the middle of all that? You. The captain. Yeah. You. Yeah. You are. Or us. Yeah. So you need to communicate. And my favorite saying of that entire class was, you know what that fourth stripe is right there? That means you've already won the argument. There's no need to raise your voice because <laughs> the minute you raise your voice, you've now lost right. the argument. That's true. You don't have to say a word. You've already won the argument. That's what that fourth mm -hmm. stripe is. That means, yeah. that means that I've won the argument. I need mm -hmm. you to do this. And this is what's going to happen. And the minute you raise your voice, You've lost the argument. And, and yet that brings me to another point completely separate from any of this discussion. And it's noticeable when you walk into the gate area or onto the airplane, 
there's a different way that people address you and look and talk to you and just it's because of the fourth stripe and i'm not saying it's good or bad or that i thrive on that kind of you know attention or anything but it's just noticeable yeah and uh, anyway i'll leave it at that yeah i do have to go okay well uh, thank you so much for joining us rob uh again you're insight is always an inspiration i am very very honored to have you join us today and good luck to your daughter thanks appreciate it and uh it's good to be back best of luck on your ioe tomorrow um you're gonna do great you're you're gonna have fun terry good to see you again glad you're on the line congrats with training alex con- congrats on your impending uh um situation over there i guess (laughs) and we need to get together as soon as we can um and we'll uh we'll try to well let's just let it cool off a little bit and we'll get together and do what we can here for sure definitely i look forward to it rob all right fellas we'll see you on the next one thanks rob later see you and then there were the back to three um So again, gentlemen, thank you so much. Um, So we've talked a little bit about PLM and what I wanted to briefly go over is some of the things that I've learned uh, because I think it'd be helpful even as a first officer. If I would have known some of these kind of highlights that I've gone through uh, over the past few days and weeks, um, I think it would have given me a couple more tools in my toolbox, uh, a common thread here on the show. So did you know that the FAA was the one that proposed the enhancement to professional development of U.S. air carrier pilots to make certain that they adhere to standard procedures and prevent behavior which could lead to pilot errors? The rule would require leadership and command training and mentor training for pilots in command. It would also require each air carrier to establish a committee to develop, administer, and oversee this formal pilot mentoring program. Now, this was back in 2016, and yes, it has been implemented. The FAA is the one that has made this a mandatory training event for PICs at 121 carriers. But a little bit more, I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, but a little bit more about this program. Uh, Pilots have an enormous responsibility for the safety of their passengers and crew, said FAA Minister at the time, Michael Huerta. We have some of the best pilots in the world, and we should take full advantage of our pilots' wealth of experience to raise professional standards and cockpit discipline. The notice of proposed rulemaking provided newly hired pilots with the opportunity to observe and become familiar with flight operations procedures before serving as part of a flight crew. The FAA required air carriers to revise the curriculum for pilots seeking to upgrade to pilot in command. Air carriers would also, and they have, provide leadership and command and mentoring training for all pilots in command. Air carriers will establish pilot professional development committees to develop, administer, and oversee these things. But of repeating uh, the same thing here. This was put into effect after the Colgan Flight 3407 accident. Air carriers and unions responded to the FAA's call out to action and pledged support for professional standards and ethics committees and code of ethics and safety risk management meetings. So this was proposed uh, and it was put into rule uh, as an FAA, FAR for part 121. 
Again, I'll put a link in the show note from this press release that state, dates back to 2016. Um, it just goes to show you, I, there's stuff that I had no idea that that was a requirement. Um, again, it was definitely a great class. We've talked a little bit about the sterile cockpit or sterile flight deck environment a couple shows ago. Um, it was kind of a a thing that you know had an issue with during uh, my recurrent training as a first officer a couple months back. And I always thought I was pretty good with sterile flight deck, that I try to keep personal conversations to an absolute minimum, if not at all, until we're outside of the sterile environment, above 10,000 feet, the last 1,000 feet of any assigned altitude. And for me, top a descent down, because once you're on an arrival and you have altitude and speed restrictions and to comply with, it, it gets kind of tricky and no matter how confident you are in your scenario when you start introducing distractors then things happen and the last thing you want to have to do is feel obligated to file an asap because you busted an altitude or speed or gate um, on the arrival so i try to keep my conversations professional and to what's at hand during those times but even as disciplined as i am there are multitude of times where I can imagine myself and I catch myself breaking sterile cockpit, asking a question, hey, did you see that? Or what do you think of this? Or, hey, did you hear we passed our TA today? <laughs> so, you know, you have to really be disciplined. And it all comes down to professionalism and leadership and mentoring. So after this recent crackdown on the sterile cockpit that the FAA has been proposing, um, I learned that from our FAA POI over at Legacy, that cell phones have become a major issues, a major issue on the flight deck. And what the FAA is doing is they are cracking down on cell phone and electronic device usage from pilots on the flight deck. Is your pilot tweeting, TikToking in the middle of your flight? Now, passengers have rules. And even jump seaters have rules. And the jump seater on the flight deck has the same rules as the passenger. So yeah, they can surf the internet while they're in your jump seat, as long as it's not below 10,000 feet or sterile flight deck. But you as a pilot, part of the crew, your phone, as per the regulation, FAR 121.306, must be turned off, not in airplane mode, not in standby. But off, that is the, the verbiage that's being used. Now, I can tell you, in complete honesty, I put my, my phone in airplane mode, at least I have in the past, because I, one, wasn't aware that it had to be off, off, even though the checklist does say PEDs off, right? Um, and so what's happening? Well, we have seen many, many instances in the news lately of aircraft vacating runways on takeoff and landing. Uh, we've seen uh, incidents where there's been damage to airplanes. We've seen incidences where there's been evacuations lately, many of them, um, all around the world. And guess what the first thing that the NTSB and the FAA are going to do? They're going to, number one, pull your phone records, pull your Wi-Fi from your device, your laptop, your phones, they're going to give you a drug and alcohol test first thing. So if you have an incident, if you tail strike an airplane or have a hard landing, call your union 
that's the first phone call you should make. Call your union. Most of us have been given these little cards to hang behind our badges. So they're right there on our lanyard. Just call the 800 number. Say, hey, uh, this is what happened. What should I What should I do? And they'll tell you. All right. First thing you do, don't talk to anyone. And we'll have someone come out right away. We're going to administer the, make sure you get the drug and alcohol thing done. Why do I mention this? Okay. So there's been an incident. And I will tell this in full confidence and confidentiality to to what happened over at legacy airlines i think i mentioned it a few months back i was in phoenix uh, on a go home leg and the captain and i uh went to meet the aircraft and so we're walking down the jet bridge and i noticed that the fo was coming in from a walk around which is unusual because it was just you know they were landing and there's no need to do a walk around a post flight with our company because the airplane's going right back out and the inbound or the outbound crew is going to do the walk around, which was me. And as I'm walking down, I noticed that he was coming in from the walk around and I'm like, Hey, what's the matter? Did you break it? And he was like, yeah, it wasn't my best landing. Um, yeah, this airplane's, uh, maintenance is looking at it. And I went, Oh shit, what the heck? And then there's like five maintenance guys in the flight deck. And one of them turns around and goes, yeah, guys, uh, you're not taking this airplane out. It's, it's done. It had a, had a tail strike. And the captain and I went, whoa, we've heard about this and we brief it on every single landing, you know, a, a, three, a 321, a, you know, seven and a half degrees and, and a 320, 319, 10 degrees, whatever. So we, we briefed this stuff, but we never really see it. So I said, hey, I'm going to go out and take a look. I've never seen this just because I want to add tools to my toolbox and see what it looks like. And I took pictures, and, and the captain did too, and well, it's actually it doesn't look too bad. Well, in PLM, they talked about that very incident. Um, and I guess what happened was the crew wrote it up. They called maintenance. Maintenance came in, said, yep, we're going to have to do an inspection. And you put it in the book. Good job. And that crew ended up going to the hotel. And I'm like, man, that was a... That sucked, man. That landing really sucked. And, and from what they explained to me in the class was a little slow, a little gusty winds, a little over rotation, uh, and they had a, a tail strike. So uh, it basically scraped off one of the drain masts. It got grinded down and the belly, the rear belly of the tail section had some scratches in the paint from damage to the skin, nothing major. Um, and we, we, we checked thoroughly and there was no wrinkling of the skin or anything, but tail strike is a tail strike. And so there's a huge maintenance inspection that has to happen with lasers and check to make sure that the fuselage and everything is straight and inspections of spars and all kinds of things. So, uh, it was a big deal. Well, the crew that had this event happen were not based there. So they went to the hotel and they went downstairs to, to dinner and they each had a glass of wine to you know unwind and talk about no yes so a few hours in they get a phone call from you know director of flight or whatever it was and said yeah uh what the heck um uh, you didn't you, well we told maintenance yeah but uh, there's an aircraft accident you have we need to go take a p-test and they're like well we're already at dinner and we're having a glass of wine and they're like it doesn't matter you have to go to you have to this is this is a FAA requirement. You, so they went, picked them up, and they both took a blood alcohol test and both came up with zero, zero, zero. 
They're freaking lucky. Wow. They're okay. freaking lucky. Allegedly. This is what happened. Allegedly. Now, luck is, is a, a minimal <laughs> word I would use. If you have an accident or incident, anything outside of the norm, anything outside of SOP, what's the first thing you should do? Contact your union. Call the union. Call the union. Because the union will tell you, okay, this is what you're required to do, and this is what we want you to do, which is usually in addition to what's required, right? To protect yourself. Because they're there to protect you. That's what you pay your union dues for. Okay? It's, It's to keep you in the best situation possible to protect your certificate. So when we talk about professionalism, we are not necessarily talking about intentional malice or intentional noncompliance. If you're not professional, you're intentionally noncomplying or you're doing your own thing or you're not following SOPs. That's not the only thing about professionalism. We're also talking about, do you do the, the policies and procedures, the protocols that you're expected to, to do, to follow? Are you making good choices? And that's what we're kind of talking about. So there are definite avenues that mindsets that you should have when you're PIC. As an FO, we would hope that you have those too, because many airlines say, well, we don't hire first officers. We hire captains in training. And it's very true. That's a mindset. So be cognizant of the decisions you're making and ask yourself, you know, is, is there more I need to do? And at the end of the day, work from the hearing backwards. We've all these cliches we've heard about many, many, many times. Now, the crackdown on cell phones, this is something, and I'll put a link in the show note from an article about this. And the reason for this crackdown, I think there's a definite issue with not just pilots, but with society. And we're all guilty of it. And, and there are very few that I feel have a handle on it. And you've seen these pilots, they've got the flip phone with no, there's no smart in their phone at all. There's a flip phone. It's like a, I forget what they call them, jitterbox or whatever. They're usually Jitterbug. senior citizens <laughs> with big numbers that are easy to see, read, just dial the number and that's it. Okay. But that's not practical, not in this world that we live in, this, this information plugged into the matrix world. However, cell phones on the flight deck have become an issue. I recently discovered that one of our first officers over at Legacy Airlines had a ringtone for cruise scheduling that was the fire bell. So when cruise scheduling called, without looking at the phone, he would know, oh, it's cruise scheduling, trying to call me, reassign me, or whatever, give me a trip. Well, this first officer neglected to turn off his cell phone, and at 100 knots, on takeoff roll, his phone rang. The captain heard the phone ring very loud and rejected the aircraft at 100 knots. Come to find out, it was not a fire bell. It was the first officer's cell phone. This is a problem. I really, I hope they ASAP that one. I, <laughs> I hope they ASAP that one. Um, there are other instances and examples that I've learned uh, over at Legacy um, that... Uh, the FAA on the jump seat doing an observation. The first officer's cell phone goes off at the beginning of the takeoff roll. 
and he goes, oh crap, sorry guys, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, mom, mom, yeah, um, I can't talk right now. I'll call you back, mom. I'll call, mom, I'll call you back. Okay, bye. <laughs> V1, rotate. <laughs> These are- All right, you gotta you got be, I'm sorry, I don't wanna use a curse word. I know this is a family-friendly program, but you gotta be fucking kidding me. You're <laughs> answering it on a takeoff roll? You're out of your fucking mind. Uh, this, unfortunately, is not that unusual. It's not that unusual. Um, so then you have to look at the generation gap on the flight deck. Okay. Legacy Airlines hired a pilot in their last class that was born in the year 2000. That's not unheard of for a regional airline. That is quite rare for a mainline carrier. That guy's going to be, it's going to be higher than Kyle when he retires. He's going to be one. When Kyle retired? Yeah, Kyle's yeah, very young too. But I was going to say, if, if, if that guy at two, born in 2000, he's going to be seniority number one Yeah, when he retires. He's 23. Yeah. Like. Yeah. He, he's young. Now, that doesn't mean that, that they're lacking in professionalism, pilotage, all that stuff, but they are lacking in real world experience. Just by their age, by their numbers. How long have they been an adult? You know, what are your decision-making uh, characteristics? Now, not to say that that individual is not going to be a fantastic pilot uh, throughout the career. Maybe he'll run the company someday. I don't know. doesn't matter. But the point is, we have a generation gap on the flight deck. And this has become a big issue. We had our professional standards director come in and talk to us and a lot of what pro standards is a union gig where if you have a problem with the person you're flying with one of the main questions i started this podcast asking my guests were how do you deal with conflicting personalities on the flight deck because it's a common theme it's it's been something i've been talking about now for four over four years of this podcast and this has now become kind of front and center is how do you deal with personality? Rob spoke a little bit about this earlier when he was talking about how he had to kind of mentor a little bit his his first officer. Now, he didn't mention her, her age. It doesn't really matter. But is that a generation thing, a generational thing, an age gap thing? Um, because there are different mindsets here. And we have to learn to evolve and adapt to those mindsets. How do you discuss with your first officer, hey, can you um, put your phone down? It, it really should be off right now. Do you mind turning it off? And you know, when we get there, you can turn it on. They had us do these uh, skits in front of class. You know, they had to try to get everybody involved and to participate. And of course, guess who gets chosen to do the very first skit? I do. And I'm sitting up there with one of the instructors uh, in two chairs, and I'm the captain, he's the FO. And we're doing the pre-flight and we're going through the routing and he keeps checking his phone. So I stop and I go, hey, uh, you know, uh, something, are you, something going on? Do you have a phone call you need to make? We can, I can stop what I'm doing if you need to make a call real quick and we get back to this. But I need you to, I need you to be in here with me. Concentrate. He's like, no, no, I just, I'm doing a trip trade. I just want to see if I get my trip, you know. So we go back to doing the pre-flight duties and he picks up the phone again in this scenario and i'm like hey man like i've already asked you once to put it away is this going to be a problem or um i really we really need to be on the same page here and follow sop can you can you put your phone away please and he goes yeah 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 yeah, sure sure no problem and not two seconds later he's picking up his phone looking at his phone again 
And I'm like, look, in front of the whole classroom, and there everybody's giggling and <laughs> laughing. Like, see, let's see what Tony does. I'm like, look, and I pretend I'm closing the cockpit door. I'm like, look, man, I don't, I don't want to have to go down this road, but um, you either follow the SOPs and let's get the job done the way we're supposed to, or you can just go talk to the chief pilot about their, your, your phone call or this trade that you're waiting for. And, you know, maybe you can get off this flight and you'll be available to make this trip trade you want to make with your cell phone. But if you're going to do this flight, we're going to do it right. And so he kept pushing, kept pushing. And, and so of course, you know, then the exercise was over and, and then we went around the room. How do you think Tony handled that? You know? And <laughs> so, and we went, we did a lot of these exercises and, and, even with flight attendants, like people acting as flight attendants. And, and you know, what if your flight attendant's on the cell phone? What are you going to do as, as a captain? Are you going to say anything? Or, you know, and let's say they're deplaning and they're on their phone. It's like, really? Am I putting that away? You're not the boss of me. Oh, yeah, we went through every scenario. <laughs> it was very enlightening. So, yeah, the crackdown is real. Um, what you're doing, and I think this is pretty standard, and I think you gentlemen would agree with me, is you're putting yourself at risk. Because let's say you do the same job flight day in, day out. You do it a thousand times and nothing happens. And you start to have this normalization of noncompliance, aka being on a phone or PED or something like that. And it's not company related. It's not directly approved. So you do this, you get away with it. You pay for the Wi-Fi, you're, you're online, you're tweeting while you're flying, whatever. Okay. No one's going to say anything until that one thing happens that was completely out of your control. That one thing that, that, that landing where the spar got damaged or, you know, something you got in a big accident in the parking lot. And because you're in uniform, it's on the news. They made CNN. Okay. Oh, the pilot runs into a school bus full of children on their way to make a wish flight. I mean, you don't, the minute you put your uniform on, you are under the microscope. And when they go back and they go, well, according to this, the pilot was very upset because we have all their phone records. <laughs> they were tweeting during the flight and <laughs> how, you know, the negative thing. So to protect yourself, and I don't want to sound preachy because I'm guilty of it too. We're all guilty of it. Work from the hearing backwards. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Terry, what do you think? Yeah, we, uh, I, so I was flying with a friend of mine, actually the, the one and only time so far I've been able to fly with somebody I knew prior to going to uh, Transglobal. And uh, we had a new hire come on to do his observation flight. And, you know, generational gap, this, uh, I don't want to call him a kid, but he was 24 years old. Um, he was projected to retire as number seven at the company. Wow. He wasn't the junior guy in his class either. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how that's how junior we're we're getting and how how young we're getting in our new hire classes. But um yeah, he uh the the captain, uh my buddy, uh ended up at the end of the flight, you know, it's just one leg. It wasn't uh it wasn't a super long actually he did a turn with us. We did a Houston Austin turn. And uh at the end of the the turn uh my buddy turns to him and, and is basically like hey look man you know you're in the jump seat uh we're in the sterile environment below 10 
be very, very careful about using your phone. Um, there are some guys who, you know, they won't say anything. There are other guys, uh, usually older guys, more senior guys who will destroy you. And, you know, your first year you're on probation, right? So, uh, that could lead you to not be employed here anymore. So just be very, very careful. So my, my, my buddy did a really good job of trying to mentor, uh, this young lad, um, but it, it's a problem. It's a, it's a, there, there's definitely a generational gap. You know, these, these, uh, I mean, you're born in 2000, you're born with a cell. I had my first cell phone in 96, 95, something like that. So, you know, I mean, they don't know a life without cell phones, right? Right. Uh, they don't know a life without being connected to everyone all the time. Um, Whereas, you know, guys like us, we, we do, we kind of grew up in that age where these new technological developments were coming out. So we can kind of, we're kind of in a unique spot where we can kind of see both sides. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a generational thing. You see it. I mean, my kids, uh, we, we give our, our, both my kids have, uh, old cell phones of ours and they're, you know, watching YouTube. They're not, they're not into social media yet, but they're, you know, watching YouTube kids and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And I mean, they're, they're growing up with cell phones in their hands. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And, uh, the potential is there, especially, especially in your first year on probation. Yeah. Don't do it. Put yeah. it away. Turn it off. <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a documentary. I, I sat down with my daughter last year to watch uh, the social dilemma. I think it's on Netflix. Um, and it talks about the algorithms of these companies. And when you have developers and CEOs, former CEOs of these social media giants tell you that their own children are not allowed to be on their own platform that has made them their millions because of the algorithms and how it targets the brain and how it's a dopamine rush that is equivalent to a methamphetamine rush. Um, and so it's a, it's a drug, it's an addiction. And we've seen these videos on TikTok and on social media and on YouTube of children having their phones taken away from grandma and they're throwing conniptions on the aircraft and they're, and they're biting and screaming and kicking and spitting and, and they're grabbing other people's phones. Ah! It's, it is a absolute psychological mess. It's an issue. And we are all as adults we can regulate a little bit more and but as younger generations that you know grew up with it in their hand it's a little harder to regulate now alex as the younger member of our crew although you're not that young um have you found have you <laughs> you're thinning a little bit yeah i see the finger you're number one tony uh, thank you thank one. you well you're the younger one in the group so yeah have you found uh cell phone usage on the flight deck to be an issue with you or some of the pilots that you fly with over at the, the subsidiaries or the regional carriers? Or do you think that pretty much everyone's professional and tries to keep it in check or, or do you find that we're all guilty of it at some point? Well, okay. So I'll be honest. I have the only social media I have is a work Facebook profile. 
Like it is, I only use it so that I have like trips and what's basically going on with the company. And I follow a couple um, aviation boards, one of them being the Aviation uh, Business Information Board, hosted by our very Shout own Kyle, Kyle Jansen. Yep. Um, but I mean, I don't use it as a social media platform. It is a work tool. It is another tool in my toolbox for work to help me see and basically get a better gauge on the industry and industry news. Um, so for me, it's a non-issue. I don't, I don't, I'm not sitting there mindlessly just scrolling. Yeah. Um, I see it sometimes with some of the younger generation uh, pilots like that are younger than me. I mean, you said it, I'm older, I'm 36. So I have more life experience than some of these captains that are 26, you know, 25 years old sitting in the left seat. Uh, but I, I see that some of them do that. I've seen um, there was one of the captains who I flew with um, when I first started with the company. Um who him and I had a, just a personality conflict. Um, and I saw him instantly, the moment we land, start getting on dating profiles. Oh my uh, God. Websites. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm a pilot. I'm, I'm not even kidding I'm a, you. I'm like, an airline pilot. Was taxiing into the gate and I could see Onlypilots.com. Right? <laughs> I could I could see him just swiping left and right as he's steering us to the gate. And I'm like, dude, like, come on. Like, okay, let me ask you this, Alex. Did you say anything? I was so green. I didn't know my ass for my elbow at that point, And I didn't know how to say it. Yeah. Um, but you tell me, you give me that same scenario now. Yeah, I would say something about it. You know, it's, and how it's do you dead. how do you approach a captain? And this is a great, this is a fantastic discussion. How do you approach a captain in the left seat, who's whatever they're doing, trading their stocks, uh, swiping left and right, whatever, or making that phone call, or texting their girlfriend, or whatever? How do you approach them if you're the first officer in the right seat? From my perspective, I mean, I take it as a like you know. Hey man, we we've got a job to do. The engines are still running. We still got the airplane moving. The doors still shut. You know, like we have a job to finish. You, can you hold off on that? You know, whatever you're doing on that cell phone for five more minutes. You're not the boss of me. I'm the captain. Down. I'm the captain. Know your place. Okay, cool. Yes, sir. I, you are the yeah, captain, yeah. and I will be calling pro standards. Thank you. That's, that's exactly that's, yes. That's I exactly mean, what I would be saying. Thank Something you. along those lines. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, sir, you are right. You, I am not the boss of you. I can only give you suggestions. However, it is my suggestion that you turn that cell phone off because I will be contacting pro standards if you don't. Or, or my favorite is, God forbid anything happens between now and when we get to the gate. I hope nothing happens to us because I, I would hate to see the FAA and the NTSB come down on you. I'm trying to protect your certificate and mine, sir. Can you please just put it away? I'm in the yellow right now. Can you please put it away? Help me get back to the green. I mean, there's so many options. There's so many ways. Most of us will just kind of be like, hey, put it away. Dick. Or the opposite. They just will, they'll notice it and they won't say anything. Now, here is what shocked me. So we had every day, as, as Rob said, you have members of management and leadership come in and for like 45 minutes to an hour, they, they talk about how proud of you they are and, and, and the direction of the company's going and whatever department they're in, they're going to give you some insight on how to use your tools of leadership and mentoring. 
our FAA POI was there and he put up on the screen a picture of one of our captains with their face blurred out watching a movie on their EFB in the middle of the flight. And obviously the first officer took this picture and he's, he is the FAA. And then he showed another picture of a first officer doing the same thing, watching a movie or or doing something on, on their phone, which is where their EFB should have been in the middle of flight. And he says, I hate getting these and I get these every single day. And I went, excuse me, can I just ask a question? I mean, that's outrageous. I, I can't believe that's happening. Um, did you get this from the internet or he goes, no, my mailbox, my mailbox, my FAA.gov mailbox. People send these to me and I hate them. I don't want to get them. I know. I, I, this is where I have the issue. Why are you not, why are you not handling like not you? Be an adult, be professional, be mature. Say, Hey captain, do you mind turning that off? Yeah. There are steps and procedures, right? So, or like how, how Terry and I were saying, Hey, I'm going to contact pro standards about this. Like, right. which is why the next are step. you not, why are you not handling this at the lowest level? Why are you sending this out to the FAA? To, As Terry was saying, you never like know who you're going to fly with. You have no idea. And neither one of these photos was the pilot aware that their photo was taken. Okay. And the, the other pilot intentionally sent it to rpoi why because they want to get somebody fired they want to move up a number it doesn't matter it's some chicken now, shit horse I, shit i agree bullshit. i agree but why are you putting yourself in that situation right because this guy that you're or gal that you're sitting next to could be the life of the party could be an awesome pilot you guys get along swimmingly but you never really know someone's character and unless you have full confidence, you never really know. So you put yourself at risk. What I'm saying is protect your certificate yep. at all costs. Protect your certificate at all costs. Meaning, if you're one of our listeners out there, and I'm not preaching here, I'm just saying, what can I do to convey to everyone that at the end of the day, my certificate cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and decades of experience to get to this position. Tomorrow is my first trip on IOE as a captain at a legacy carrier. I was a captain before. I did it for many years. I, I had the check airman hat. I had the assistant chief pilot hat for a while at a 121 carrier. I'm very honored to do that. However, I got to tell you, um, <laughs> this is a big deal. And these are the kind of things I'm going to have to deal with. I never thought about this before. Yep. Nope. Yeah. I, I hate to, but yep. I got to go. I hear you, so. Alex. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're, we're pretty much wrapping it up here anyway. Um, I'm sure the, the ladies and gentlemen out there, the listeners are probably sick and tired of hearing us about talk about cell phones. But this is what the FA is cracking down on. And I just want to yep. give you all the heads up so that... We all can have the right tools in our toolbox. So, Alex, yep. thank you for joining us. And you got to go. Uh, and again, good luck. Yep. Tony, congratulations. Good luck on IOE. Terry, congratulations. Are you done with IOE? I am. <laughs> congratulations. Thanks. And, uh, <laughs> um, 
I actually, I fly through DC, but I don't stay overnight. Um, two days from now. So if you're in the local airport, um, I'll shoot you a text. I might be. Okay. I'll let you know. We're All early right. in the morning. So Sounds good. see you guys. Peace out. See ya. Well, Terry, uh, final, uh, few thoughts. Um, you know, we talked about retirements and it's no secret that in the U S uh, over half the pilots are going to retire in the next 10 to 15 years. So never has it been a better time to join the ranks of the 121 operation of this profession. All day today, we've been talking about professionalism and leadership and mentoring and what that means for the industry. Anybody can learn how to fly an airplane. Well, pretty much anyone can learn how to fly an airplane. And that's great. But flying the airplane is the easy part. What you do out there on the line with all the challenges that we have ahead of us, that's the hard part. And some of us are a little bit more natural at leading and mentoring and communicating. And others, we we need to learn. I know I've had to learn a lot. I've made every mistake I can think of, and then some. But I've always had that mindset to where, hey, I just, I just messed up. I just screwed up. Hey, everyone, this is what I did. Have you guys heard about this? I mean, because I'm always trying to get it out there. Now, I'm kind of curious over at Transglobal what the projections are, if you know them. But what I learned is over at Legacy, in the next eight years, that's eight years, by the year 2031, 50% of all the pilots at Legacy Airlines will have to retire. Now, this could change, barring an, an age 68 minus a day rule, which I've heard mixed things. Nobody knows yet. The Senate has to come back from recess and they have to look at this bill and see. There's, there's a couple twists and turns in there that would, that would create a major problem in the industry. So I don't think this bill will pass in its current form. The way it is written, the airline air traffic control FAA reauthorization bill, whatever it's called, um, there are some twists and turns that that are just not possible logistically. So they're going to have to work on that if it's going to pass. However, if a similar bill passes in the next year or two to age sixty eight minus a day, which is what the current bill is is trying to imply and, and trying to implement, um, then that could change that number. But as of right now, as it stands, the age 65 rule is a mandatory retirement age for all airline pilots, airline pilots, part 121, which means 50% of all the pilots at Legacy will retire, have to. So question is, how long for an upgrade? Right now, the fastest upgrade at Legacy is 18 months. Let me say that again. 18 months. The youngest pilot was born in the year 2000, 23 years old unheard of numbers. We haven't seen these numbers since the 1990s in the airline industry. Now, over at Transglobal, do you know any of those stats? Very similar situation. I know uh, while I was going through training on the 7576, we had a new hire start class, 23 years old. Um, Not only were they 23 years old and the most junior in their class, but also, uh, this individual had only gotten their ATP. It was, uh, I want to say, less than three months prior to starting class at Transglobal. 
So, wow. yeah, incredible. Um, I just pulled up a seniority report just to, to take a look. Eight years. So we're looking at uh, August of 2031. Uh, almost 4,700 pilots retiring. So that's... Uh, about 35? Maybe about 40. 30... Maybe about a third of the pilot group right now. Uh, actually, right, a little more than a quarter. So maybe about 30%. 30%. Okay. Um, yeah, we've we're at sixteen thousand ish, wow, a little over sixteen thousand. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like just you know, I haven't even been at the company for a year. I was hired in October mm. of last year, mm -hmm. and I have uh, two thousand pilots below me. Wow, wow, yeah, we're just hiring at an absolutely insane pace, you know. So. Um, yeah, the, uh, you know, the industry, I think as a whole is getting younger, you know, you've got, uh, the, the baby boomer era pilots who are, uh, almost all gone. I think, uh, what the, the youngest baby boomer is like 59 right now. So approaching yeah. 60. Um, so, you know, they're retiring, uh, very soon. Uh, yeah. even if it's delayed, you know, three years minus a day, um, those retirements are still going to happen. Right. Uh, right. Just a little bit of a delay. And, and let's be honest, you know, some of the, uh, the reports from all, uh, all of the airlines, uh, I, I think, I think our CEO came out and said that something, something on the order of half of pilots, half of the pilots at our company over the age of 63 are on LTD long-term oh. disability. Oh, really? Something like that. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, I, I don't know. I, I could be, I could be way off with those numbers, but so don't call me on that. But uh, you know, it's, there's, there's a significant number of pilots, especially, you know, over the age of 60 uh, who are on long-term disability. And, you know, some of that is, is gaming the system with, uh, saving up their sick banks and, you know, blowing their sick banks at the end uh, mm -hmm. of the career while you're making the most and, you know, not, uh, how should I say, enjoying your life right. outside of flying. Right. Um, and, and other people are, are legitimate illnesses. I, I know a guy who's, who's in his final few years, who's, you know, got some medical issues going on and, and he is on legitimately on long-term disability. Yeah. But, you know, when, when you've got a significant number of your pilots doing that, your highest earning pilots, um, yeah, you know, we're, we're then we're looking at extending the age, you know, another three years, there'll be takers, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, if that legislation is passed, uh, and I'm not going to take a position on it one way or the other, uh, I have my thoughts, but, um, you know, if that legislation is, is passed, uh, there will be takers, but I think a significant number of people will still either retire at, continue to retire at age 65 or sooner. Yeah. I think the, what's holding it up from what I understand is there's a clause in there saying that anyone that had, has retired in the last you know, year or so, they need to get their job back. And then the question is, well, how do you do that? You're, you've been retired. We're not going to put you at the top of the list and say, here you go. Um, right. You start from the bottom again. Or how, how do you integrate your seniority number into the mix? Number one. Number two is, okay, so you're going to change it to age 65. 
and the IATA is going to say, well, you can't fly here. So what do you do if, if most of your 65-year-olds or 60 to 65-year-olds are flying wide-body captains and they can't fly international? Well, what do you do with them now? Do you put them on domestic only? In which case, are they going back to a narrow body? And then how do you pay them? Do you pay them wide-body pay scales or do you force them back into a narrow-body pay scale? They go, well, you can stay, but you got to take a pay cut and you got to do domestic and you got to do four legs a day. So that age 65 to age 68, it's not like you're doing the takeoff and you sit there and go to your bunk and sleep for four hours. <laughs> have, your, right. have your FO, their number one FO, like take over. Um, so there, there's too many questions right now to speculate on wh- if it's going to pass or not. I, I personally don't think so, but we'll see what happens uh, with this bill. Yeah. Now, the age 60, the retirements, all that stuff, like you said, it's, it's just going to kick the can down the road a couple of years. It's not going to be a big deal. But the point here is when you're choosing who to go to, and so you're at a job fair and you're like interviewing with, you know, all these main lines and you have CJOs from three of them. Okay. Let's just say perfect scenario. You got CJO from the three main line guys, the big ones, right? Like American, United, and Delta. And you have to make a choice. What's happening is people are making a choice not based on the company's projective longevity and quality of life, but they're more so making the choice on where they fly in and out of, where their bases are. And I've heard some stats that over at Legacy Airlines, some people have made the the jump from Legacy Airlines to one of the others, like American Delta United, in order to live at home in base so they don't have to commute because that quality of life is more important than maybe the dollar or more an hour or maybe the bigger airplane is is more junior or whatever but what is often overlooked is time to upgrade so when you make a choice in going to a mainline carrier and you have multiple cjos a conditional job offer maybe you want to look at what's the time to upgrade and granted what the time to upgrade is today can change tomorrow at every single airline operator. However, that's something to consider because do you yeah. want us to be in the right seat? Now, some people are lifers. They're going to sit in the right seat for life because their quality of life is good. They're, they're in base. They got their vacation. They're making enough money. They've put enough away in their nest egg. They're, maybe their spouse is working also so they don't need to chase that dollar. And in those cases, the stress level is a little lower because you don't have to deal with all of this stuff. Telling your first officer to put their phone away or their flight attendant to to put down their tablet and stop watching a movie in the middle of the flight. Because passengers, everyone's got a movie studio in their pocket now and they're going to take a picture and they're going to send it to the FAA. So (laughs) if you don't have to, if you don't want to deal with all that stress, then maybe... Staying as an FO is not a big deal and time to upgrade is not a factor. Or maybe your goal is to go to Dublin and go to the, the Guinness factory and have a nice warm Guinness straight from the source on a layover. Cold. Cold. Oh, did it, it was cold? cold. I heard And that. I poured it myself. And you poured it. Did you do the clover? <laughs> I, I did. I did the, the tour where you get to uh, uh, learn how to pour Guinness yourself. Yeah. I thought it was supposed to be like the real Guinness was supposed to be like room temp kind of. Is that fallacy? I don't know. It came out of the tap nice and cold. Nice and cold. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm jealous because that's on my bucket (laughs) list. And maybe next time you go to Dublin, let me know and I'll, I'll 
sit in your there drum seat. There you go. There we go. Let go to the, go yeah. To. You know, um, I, I can tell you here at trans global, um, our upgrades are, uh, 12 months in a day. Basically, once you're off probation, you are eligible to upgrade. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so the minimum requirements per the company, I believe was it a, a uh, no, it's 500. I don't know. I, I, I honestly like don't remember hours in a turbine. Uh, I, I honestly don't remember cause I'm not looking to upgrade, oh. but, um, <laughs> basically we have, uh, folks in my class. So we're, we're running a, uh, a vacancy bid every month. Oh, wow. And every, every month, yeah. uh, we are, uh, we have vacant positions somewhere anywhere from you know 60 to 100 vacant narrow body captain positions wow so uh there are there guys in my class who are like yeah i'm you know the the vacancy bids usually open up about the fifth or sixth day of the month and they uh or maybe maybe the week after i I don't remember exactly but um they open up early in the month uh my class started early in the month so uh, guys will be off probation the beginning of October mm-hmm. and they plan on, there are some guys who plan on bidding narrow body captain, uh, as just as soon as they can. Yeah. Uh, you know, good for them. Uh, if that's what they want to do and that's how they want to, uh, they, they want their career to go great, yeah. you know, more power to them. Um, me personally, uh, I'm looking for the quality of life angle. You know, I was talking, uh, on this, uh, last trip I was on over to Dublin, I was talking to the, uh, the other first officer and, uh, you know, he's, he's more in the, uh, the mindset of trying to make as much money as he can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he lives in base, so, you know, not, not too hard to, uh, to work a lot. Um, I'm more of the mindset where I would like to maximize my time off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have small kids. I want to be home, you know, yep. I want to be where the family is more than i want to be at work right uh so you know everybody's got different goals um going back to what you said about you know getting hired at at any of you know some people have their choice of where they where they want to go work you know we've had uh, guys in my class uh and two guys who left for uh the carrier that operates out of atlanta and uh you know 10 years ago that's where i wanted to go um because i live there yeah. Uh, but you know, now I live in DC and so now I make fly for trans global and that's the, yeah. that's the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, yeah, the, these choices didn't exist, uh, 10 years ago, you know, you were, which, which legacy are you going to work for? I'm the first one that hires you. Right. right. It's kind of going back to our regional days back in, you know, 2006, 2007, which, which regional you want to go work for? Oh, the first hires one that hires you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's uh, just an incredible environment right now. And, and, you know, like you said, this, this, this is not something that we've seen, not in our flying careers ever. Yeah. Um, you know, not, it hasn't existed since, you know, the nineties at the, yeah. earliest, I think. Which is why all these retirements are happening now. Because in the 90s, they were hiring pilots in their mid-20s. And, you know, had to be between like 24 and 35 years old to get hired at an airline right. with previous experience, military experience. So there was a hiring And here blitz. we are 30 years later. 30 years later, here we are. Exactly. So, um, you know, and we're going to see this again in 30 more years. Yeah. Uh, maybe 40 more years. 
depending on you know age requirements. So right, you know that's it's uh, it's it's very cyclical. We've been saying this for decades, um, but it's also we have to be cognizant of the fact that you know what is it? Every individual is going to have a different um, goal in mind when it comes to a flying career. This is a profession. We have to protect it. We have to keep the professionalism in the profession, and that's why. I wanted to talk about this stuff today. It was just because there's so many opportunities and we here at Squawk Ident want to give all our listeners the tools they need to make up their own mind and how they're going to operate and how the decisions that they're going to make in their career are going to most be beneficial to them and their families. Um, before we wrap up the show, I wanted to talk uh, just briefly about stress out there on the flight line. We're all stressed out right now. Ever since this post-pandemic world and this uptick in aviation and we're short-staffed and, you know, just the numbers are absolutely abysmal with how much we're flying, the schedules we're doing, the schedule optimization, the lack of staffing, the delays, the mechanicals, um, the passengers behaving badly, all topics we've shared here on the show. And all of this is added stress to our profession. Now, we saw this before. This is nothing new. From JetBlue uh, flight attendants that say, F this, I'm out, pop a beer, pop a slide, and quit in a salacious, dramatic fashion. To stress that causes people to lose their crap in the middle of a flight. Captains to get intentionally locked out of a cockpit because they're making remarks and comments that are extremely questionable to their sanity. And a lot of times this psychosis is something that is happening due to stress that could be easily managed, but we are too proud and in some cases too afraid to communicate that with a professional because we feel we're going to lose our license. How many times have we said that uh, the employee assistance program, EAP, or our union's you know, mental health programs are there. Hims programs are there for people with addiction. We've had shows where we've had successful Hims participants talk. We've had the a director of Hims program for Sandpiper on the show. All these programs are there set in place because of one simple fact. We are human. And the stress out there today, I think, is higher because now we're not just dealing with flying and dealing with family and dealing with bosses and schedules. Now we're dealing with all this other little stuff from mask wearing, uh, post-pandemic, uh, lack of staffing, and people bottle it up. They bottle it up because we're supposed to compartmentalize as pilots, right? We're supposed to be superhuman professionals. And all of a sudden, you're going to reach a tipping point. Well, there has been this meme that's been floating around lately, uh, especially after this United pilot incident that we're going to briefly talk about here. Uh, a film from 1993 in an American crime drama called Falling Down, a film directed by Joel, uh, directed by Joel Schumacher. It was uh, also starring Michael Douglas. And it's just this suburban guy who just loses his shit and goes on this rampage. And it's a perfect example of what's happening in real life, in the real world, with some of these airline pilots that we're, that we're seeing out here losing their crap. Well, recently, unfortunately, this happened. And I'm not here to highlight it. Uh, I just want to 
emphasize again that getting help when you need it before this kind of thing happens is what's important. And I know that uh, NBC News uh, had a a video of this happening, and then we're going to share a little bit of that with you. So what we're seeing in this video is uh, security footage uh, at a parking gate in Denver International Airport, and the gate is stuck. It's broken. And the truck in front of the gate, there's nowhere to go. You can't get out. And one of the people that were waiting for this gate happened to be this captain for United. There's no, it's no secret there. Uh, Kenneth Henderson Jones was accused of criminal mischief stemming from an incident, according to an incident report. He has a full-on axe, like not a hand axe. This is like I'm chopping wood axe. And he's banging on this thing and it he completely destroys this gate. And an airport employee comes over a, a parking lot employee and he confronts this pilot and he tries to take the axe away from him and he refuses to relinquish this axe. He's like, you're not taking my axe away from me. He's completely lost it. You can see the expression on his face. He is just not all there. He's not rational at this point. In walks a second employee and they have a conversation. They're able to get the axe away from this man. He then runs behind a building Uh, staying in a field until police officers come and he voluntarily uh, turns around his hands behind his back and he gets arrested there. Um, He came in contact with multiple uh, vehicles that were waiting behind the gate and he just, he lost it. He's like, he's sick and tired of these incidents happening at the parking structure at Denver. So uh, I know you guys at the podcast out there listening can't see what we're seeing but um this is this is some serious crap i mean to lose it you're in uniform and you lose it like this then it it begs the question of is this is this person you know, at command of my airplane i mean this is some serious crap now is this person going to lose their job maybe probably not um, you know, he's, he's been very forthright. He's like, yeah, man, I lost it. I lost it. And I've read a couple of different reports indicating that he has driven through a parking gate before in the past. Um, so he, he has, it's his trigger, whatever, for whatever that's worth. Um, but this person will probably go through some serious anger management counseling and, you know, he'll lose his medical, uh, after this incident and he'll probably get up, put on unpaid administrative leave. Uh, and then hopefully he'll get the help he needs to manage this and hopefully he'll get his job back because we don't want to see a pilot. You know, we can all sympathize with the situation. The guy, you know, he's sick and tired of all this, but these stressors that happen in life, they build and they build and they build. And if you don't talk about it, if you don't get the help, you're going to end up on the news wielding an ax. Now I've also seen the very funny memes of the uh, axe throwing uh, facilities and going now at United, <laughs> you get your own <laughs> axe <laughs> with your new hire training uh, course. Um, and, and, and no disrespect to United. I mean, he could have been a pilot for anyone and he could have been an American or Delta or Southwest or jet blue pilot or frontier spirit pilot more likely, <laughs> but you know, it just, uh, we are on camera. Everywhere we go, in uniform or not, 
And it doesn't matter if you're in uniform. You could be on your day off at a concert and, and you can get in this mosh pit and you're totally moshing and you're just like letting off all your stress and steam. And next thing you know, there's a fight and there's some broken noses and blood and you get arrested. Guess what the news is going to say? Uh, Here he is, a pilot for United Airlines. <laughs> Or Delta Airlines. Or Southwest or, or Frontier yeah. or Spirit or whatever, you know, a Spirit yeah, pilot. They're going to call you out with, <laughs> you know, who you are and who you work for and, you know. Why? It's, yeah. Because we're not supposed to be human. We're supposed to be superhuman. We're not supposed to, we're supposed to be calm, cool, and collective. The wing just right. fell off the airplane, ladies and gentlemen, but don't worry, we have the other wing. We'll be just fine. That's, that's what they <laughs> expect. Right. But the right. truth is we are human and we, and we're good at managing stress for the most part. We're good at managing it. We're good at having, you know, prioritizing our home life, prioritizing our quality of life. That's why quality of life, I think is more important than dollars and cents. Oh yeah. Yeah. By far. Um, and, and you know, this, I, I hate to say it, this, this incident kind of goes to, uh, there, there's a little bit of a quality of life factor here. Mm-hmm. So. I guess uh, from what I've seen on some message boards, you know, Transglobal has a big pilot base in Denver. And uh, on our message board, uh, several people have been talking about the issues with the parking lot and parking passes and the parking passes not working when you pull up to the gate and people being late for trips because their parking pass doesn't work that the airport authority issued them. Um, And uh, so, you know, this is, it's kind of a, from what I'm reading, it's a systemic problem at Denver with the parking passes. And, you know, when, if that's your trigger and it happens every time you go to work, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not saying the guy did the right thing, but you know, it's only a matter of time. It's going to trigger you. Yep. Absolutely. Someone's going to fall for that trap, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So if you're if you're an active pilot out there, whether you're you know just a GA pilot or corporate pilot or what have you, it doesn't matter. We all have to make sure that we are aware of if we are fit to fly that day. Some really good people under a tremendous amount of stress have made some really bad decisions, and it, it has cost them their career. Please do not let stress-induced decision-making cost you your career, or even worse. So get the help you need. There are plenty of resources out there. And if you need help, you can contact us directly at the show here. Uh, Go to aviatortony.com, send us an email, and let us know. We will point you in the right direction. And I'll tell you right now, 9 out of 10, just contact your union. If you have one, you know, it, they're, they're a fantastic resource. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. All you have to do is ask. Now, the last story we're going to talk about real quick is um, something that's going on in New Delhi, in India. Now, India has a pilot shortage problem also. We don't talk about that much here in the U.S., uh, but around the world, we have issues with pilots. The lack of pilots and stress. Stress-induced mortality, at least that's what they're calling it. This is an article, I'll put a link in the show notes, from newsroommodisha.com. How stress can turn deadly 
for pilots. This was dated August 21st, 2023. So it's a very recent article. And I'll read just a little bit of of it uh, for you today. Here in New Delhi, an unaddressed stress can impact both mental and physical health, said health experts here on Monday amid the recent news of the chilling deaths of three pilots due to sudden cardiac arrest. In the last week, two Indian pilots died 24 hours apart. An Indigo captain died after collapsing at the boarding gate in Nagpur, and a senior pilot with Qatar Airways flying from Delhi to Doha as a passenger fell ill on board and died. Earlier, a pilot on Latam Airlines flying from Florida to Santiago carrying 271 people on board died after collapsing in the bathroom. The passing of these pilots serves as a poignant call to action. Let us heed this call by prioritizing our health, not merely for our sake, but for the promise of a future unburdened by preventable heart ailments. These incidents demand urgent attention to reform our habits and attitudes towards health. It is imperative that we embrace holistic well-being, integrated physical activity, balanced nutrition, and stress management into our daily lives, said Dr. Vikas Chopra, senior consultant, interventional cardiologist, and Primus Super Specialty at Primus Super Specialty Hospital. And he told Ions. So the article is interesting. I, I'm really glad I found this this morning. Um, so I'm going to put a link in the show notes um, for those interested. I could sit here and read the whole thing, but um, it is a very interesting article. And it just goes to show you that we have to take care of ourselves and each other. Be kind, communicate, be there for each other, mentor each other, be professional when speaking with each other. And this really is what leadership is all about. And being a pilot at a mainline carrier and eventually someday our goal is to, you know, for most of us to be a captain someday. And flying is the easy part. Yeah. So um, one of the mistakes that I made going through the, uh, uh, not just the the 756 training, but, you know, that was where I guess it kind of manifested was, you know, I spent 24 years in the army, um, leadership positions the whole way. So my thought was uh, somewhat, I guess, uh, naively that, uh, Oh, shoot, I get to go be Peter Pilot sitting in the right seat and, uh, you know, just kind of sit back and, and enjoy myself. And I found out pretty quickly, um, not so much uh, when I went through initial in the 7.3 because I was paired with an upgrade. And, and so, you know, there, there wasn't, he was the kind of designate, he was the designated leader, you know, as the captain, you know, so... Uh, but going through my 756 training with uh, another first officer uh, as my partner, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, I don't, I did not uh, exhibit leadership probably in the way that I should have, uh, which kind of led to the the few issues that we did end up having. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of, in the the debrief and and you know we we call them in the army aars after action report basically in the uh in the debrief we we talked about that you know like hey you know you're a leader too uh you you've 
as a first officer, you've got to be the leader. And, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, I was kind of, kind of sitting back, you know, sitting on my hands a little bit just because I don't know, I guess I kind of got into that habit, but, um, yeah, no, you, you, as, as Tony, you mentioned earlier, you know, we're, we're all captains in training, right? Um, you have to be that leader. You have to take on that leadership role. If the captain's not exercising effective leadership, then, you know, you have to kind of assume that role tactfully, mm-hmm. um, to, uh, make sure that, the the flight is going to have a safe outcome. So, yeah. um, leadership is definitely a part of it. Yeah. Uh, a part of being in this career and, and, uh, you know, you got to practice it. Yeah. You know, and we talk about the, you know, the power of the PIC has diminished and, you know, the, the people don't respect the uniform anymore. And that's really not true. That's, that's a reaction to frustration. The truth is we still have the power. We've already won the argument. Whether you're an FO or you're a, you're a captain, you've already won the argument. You're the authority. You just have to exercise it. And the minute you lose your cool, the minute you let all the stress and outside factors and frustrations and triggers overwhelm you, that's when you lose the argument. Because you've already won it. You've paid your dues. You've made it here. You've, you've done all your training and your certification. And we talk about numbers of... A, small percentage of the people of this planet have the technical ability, have the ability to retain the information in order to become an airline pilot or to be a corporate pilot or even a GA pilot. The pilot profession, pilot skills are not a given. And so when we act professional, when we look at it from a perspective of Am I mentoring? Am I, am I helping others? Then you can start to grasp the severity of what this job entails in terms of leadership. Um, and, you know, Terry, with all your experience in the military, I know I can see that it kind of, when you were telling us earlier and even in the pre-show, it kind of was beating, your, you were beating yourself up because nobody wants to be in that position where you're paired with another first officer on a, a training event to a check ride. You want to be with the captain because there's some negative learning there. You know, you're sitting in the left seat and you're supposed to be memorizing all the stuff you have to do in the right seat, but now you got to learn a little bit of what you're supposed to do in the left seat in order to do both roles. You're, you're, it's twice as hard. You're satisfying both roles and it gets frustrating. And you want to sit there and just be like, look, man, I just want to do my job. You know, come on, man, get, get, give me a captain over here. Why, why do I have to you know, babysit or, you know, this guy's kind of weak on the captain stuff. He's not taking it seriously, but, but it's my ride too. And so you let all these frustrations get in there and I have been there. I've done it. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. So yeah, it's, it's, you're right. We, and not just we, but the industry doesn't hire first officers. The industry hires captains. And if you have that, if you adopt that mindset and you knowing that you've already won the argument, you just now have to back it up with your knowledge and your character and your professionalism and your maturity. And if you do all that, man, it's, it's actually, it's not a hard job, is it? No, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, the, uh, the best job in the world. Absolutely. Know? 
Yeah, we get to stare out of the window at 500 miles an hour, six miles over the surface of the earth. That's right. What more do you want? <laughs> yep. Well, I just want to say thank you uh, so much uh, for Captain Rob, for Alex, and for Terry uh, to join me today on this flight. We really do hope that you enjoy listening to our podcast. Uh, we hope that you pay it forward and you share this podcast with your friends and family or anyone you think that might be interested. Lately, I have been bombarded with family members that have asked me questions about their kids or their cousins or their nephews about, hey, or even themselves. Like, I'm thinking about getting in aviation. We have had an exorbitant amount of flight attendants going, hey, the money is really good. I could, I see what these pilots do all day up there. They just drink coffee and read the paper. I could do this too. And we have an, a, a really, a lot of flight attendants that are now transitioning to flight schools to get their foot in the door. And you know what? Yep. The company loves it. And I'll tell you why. From a management perspective, you have somebody that has loyalty to your brand. So if you are a Delta flight attendant, and maybe you have your private or you've been up in a little airplane maybe in the past and you're like, hey, yeah, I could do this job. And if you have the skill set and you have the technical knowledge and you and you have the ability to go to school and you have the ability to, to get whatever financing you need and you have the determination to see it through, Delta would love to hire you. I'm sure of it because their hiring committees see that you have loyalty to the brand. And as long as you can you know, commit to it and see it through you're going to have a job. How many pilots are going to retire in the next eight years? Come on, people. I I went to flight school and in 10 months, I had everything from private to CFI, I and MEI. In 10 months, granted, I was seven days a week, but in 10 months, I did it. And yes, it cost me an exorbitant amount of money, but the bonuses that these regional airlines are getting, I could have paid off my entire loan with that but one bonus. So oh, yeah. there is absolutely no excuse. If you're thinking about getting into an aviation career and you're following this podcast and, and many just like it because, oh, I love flying and everything aviation, but I can never do that. Bullshit. You can. You can do it. We want you to do it. We need pilots in this industry and not just this country, around the world. So... Get out Absolutely. there. Get out there. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast today. And we, we would like you to subscribe, follow the Squawk Edit podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Share it. Please share it. Share it online. Share it on social media. Just don't do it while you're on the flight deck. Okay? Just wait till you're on the ground. Thanks. We also love receiving listener feedback. So please send us an email. Audio feedback would be great. You can do it right from your cell phone. Just go to that voice recorder thingy and record something and go, hey, Aviator Tony, whatever. We love your show or you're full of crap or I disagree or I agree. Or here's an example. And we'd love to receive it and air it on the show. Uh, you can send it right there on our website or through email found on our website at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, number Yankee.com. We are on the social media, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can find us under Squawk Ident Podcast. And one final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. See ya. See ya. You're on guard. On guard. You're on guard. The guard dogs are out. Okay. You can stop. Stand by.